From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Friends, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm sorry, and this is Mark. Hiya, tonight it's episode 55 and we're talking about the classic film, Metropolis. It was I actually, in, oh. should we be talking about it since it's a silent film, maybe we should just have show cards. Okay, podcast done. Imagine. See you next time. Intertitle. <laughs> Intertitle. Intertitle. Go for it. Metropolis, nine twenty-seven. It was nineteen twenty-seven. So in tonight's episode, we are we will reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus a really deep dive. And I'm looking into this of the specific part of science. I'm hoping it's robots, and uh, that the filmmakers are proposing. This was directed by. And look, I've got to say, I've got a bit of a director's crush on Fritz Lang. I love him. I did a big piece about him when I was at film school and I just freaking love this man. Or I love his films. Maybe that's what I should say. I don't know if I really love the man (laughs) because I don't know enough about him. He's a bit old and crusty now. He's probably old and crusty and long gone. gone. Yeah, many, many moons ago. I was going to say something else that would probably turn people off. Uh, It was written by him and his wife at the time, which you're the German here. What is that name? Thea von Harbo. There you go. I knew I was going to say it wrong. So there we go. So people should turn back, right? Sorry. Turn back now is a spoiler warning, but let's face it, it's a hundred-year-old film. If you haven't seen this movie, you're probably never going to see it, so you should just listen to us anyway. But go back and watch it. You'll be surprised. This is your spoiler warning. Warning. We're going to tell you all of the plot secrets. There's a machine man woman, which is very confusing, but they call her machine man, but it's obviously a woman. Well, that's a translational issue. Mention is uh, is man in the same term we might say... One, you know, mankind. Well, you're the German here. Oh, you tell me. So, yes, like a, a machine man in this case is, is just a machine Mach- person. Machine person. Just the the word for person and male is interchangeable in this instance. I do wonder that a little bit. Like, is it like the Western point of view on that kind of concept a little bit, you know? But anyway, we, we will diverge. So, warning, warning. Turn back, watch the 1,800 different versions of Metropolis. If you have the time and you've got nothing else going on in your life, I would love that sort of time in my life because I love this film. Uh, and then come back and listen to us. So, look, the thing with this film, first up, sorry, before yeah. I get into a tiny little synopsis, is it's a pretty grim future. It is. Now, the Americans interpreted that it was 2,300 was roughly the date. Um Fritz and Co. <laughs> Imagine calling your wife Fritz and Co. Fritz and his wife uh, said later that they, they didn't actually have a time period. There was no actual specific date. But the Americans needed a date. Uh, and so in the different interpretations of Metropolis, there's the 
this is just a futuristic society. Uh, the Americans were like, no, it's 2300. And then in a different version that came out, I think maybe in the 1980s, it was saying that it was 2026, Whoa. which is only five years away from this podcast right now. Man, if I can make myself a machine man and turn it into look like someone else and tell it to do stuff, mm. that would be handy. And also uh, buildings that have a thousand stories high. A thousand stories. Well, let's see, uh, three meters per level, roughly speaking. Yeah. We're talking about a three kilometer mm. or so tall building. That's massive. We've, eh? we've managed to get to the hundreds <laughs> of meters, not... Somewhat, there is, of course, currently an attempt on a kilometre-high building. Yeah. Uh, which is going to be an exciting thing. So, they're, they're so tall, they have they, they don't bother with fire escapes. No. Because if you're at the top floor, the time it would take you to get to the bottom floor, the building you will have been engulfed. So they have what's known <laughs> as safe rooms. Yes. Which are places to go so you don't panic before you die. Mm. Because... <laughs> Let's face it, you know, you go into these safe rooms and they're safe and they've got two hours worth of oxygen. Oh, sounds good. But if we're talking about a, a building encompassing fire here, you just basically got two hours to settle your nerves and make peace with the world, I think. Mm. So they're just full of whiskey and yeah, that's weed. What I, that's what I think. You should just be just slowly pumping you know, a bit like, of nitrous oxide yeah, in the air. Like, slowly wind the, the people on the top floors have access to the helipads. Yeah, they do, don't they? They just fly away. But uh, but it's surely at that sort of height that you you could parachute you or something. Oh, absolutely! You could base you know jump. I mean? like, that. You could bust. Sure, surely. But anyway, it's a pretty grim future. It's one that is uh, basically divided in in the real kind of way of classes. So you have a real old school uh, working class um, part of society who live literally underground. They, they're then responsible for making sure all the machines work and the electricity stays on, whilst at the same time the opposite is happening with the upper class because they're just kind of frolicking around in, this, in the pleasure garden, you know, and, uh, and the people that uh, run it are just kind of up in their high-rise apartments and uh, office spaces and... You know, don't don't even really understand what's going on in that in that underground. They, part. they don't even once tune into the podcasts of the workers. No, they do not. They they're not interested in podcasts. They just sit there in their highfalutin YouTube, <laughs> watching that. That's right. Um, and so that's basically the whole setup, which, as we all know, is the setup of many many science fiction films and, and other types At of films. At least one of our previous classics. Yep, Demolition Man. Demolition Man. Yeah, and uh, and many more. And then basically the son of the city's mastermind, who we, we get the impression that this dude was the one that kind of conjured up the whole city, maybe? I don't I'm not. I mean, yeah. it's not explained completely, but it seems like it's his baby, right? Like the, the way that the city and society he is, runs. He's listed as master of Metropolis. Yeah, he is. He's the boss what, of it. What that really means is unclear. He yeah. also seems to be involved in the central bank in somehow. Yeah, he, he's just in control of the whole thing. Anyway, the son falls in love with a working class prophet who then we learn is kind of, you know, like she's, she she's, uh, what's the word? Sorry. She's really she's nice. Really nice. She's good looking. She's looking after all the kids and she's got a heart of gold in that she, she, she wants the, the, the underclass to like 
believe that one day a mediator will come and yeah, save she, us all. Un, unlike many a prophet that sort of goes straight to the doom gloom, she's mm. preaching patience and patience, tolerance yeah. and and you know there will come a time where we can talk with each other, yeah, the top and, and the bottom can talk the difference, and, yeah. and I'm not sure what the outcome of that talk would be except no. that I guess at least your children don't drown. Mm. Something along those lines pretty handy. Yeah, and I mean, profit's a good word, but, you know, I mean, look, it, for us it's been Easter. I mean, maybe it's kind of a bit of a, you know, son of God, daughter of God scenario here, isn't it? Like preach in peace and happiness. Well, and there's definitely a lot of religious yeah. undertones or overtones in this. Majorly. And, I mean, look, when we get into the... You can start looking at the details of this film. Like, it's 1927 Germany, post-World War One, where they have been humiliated, divided, conquered by, you know, the Western Front, so to speak. And, you know, 10 years later almost, nine, nine, eight, ten 10 years later, whenever this story is conceived, and it's a, it's a way of, like, kind of talking about, like, a society post-war, I think. It's, it's really interesting in that it is ten, roughly... Ten, roughly 10 years, yeah. It's, it's 10 close years to it. after the Russian Revolution. Mm. So, because there's distinct communist capitalist mm. discussions socialist going on here. kind of point of view and yeah. roughly 10 years before world war 2 mm. where uh, as as i understand it, world war 2 was that time where everyone came together and the heart mediated and there was peace and joy is that is that the <laughs> world war i'm thinking is. of or is it a different world war the no i think one? it is i think it's heading that way and we'll come back to that a little the bit empire later. strikes back <laughs> basically is what we're talking back. about isn't it yes we are we're talking about that famous it's science world war II, this moment. is this is one where han solo gets frozen and mm. um, luke gets his hand chopped yeah. off this is not the good world war no, we talked about Spaceballs a couple of weeks ago. I mean, come on. We, we, we're clear on this. We're clear on this. So what was your number one takeaway from Metropolis? Sorry. Well, un- unfortunately, <laughs> this being a podcast, you won't see the little title card I'm holding up. Ah, but I it's, can it's kind very, of read it, but we're in separate destina- <laughs> destinations. Right, undisclosed locations <laughs> around the world. Right. <laughs> yes. No, my number one takeaway from this is, is a somewhat more... I was going to say serious. It's not serious, but it, it's, not, it's not silly. Is that... I was watching this and I thought, wow, this is really paying tribute to um, Tim Burton's film style. Yeah, it was. Like, yeah. like this Fritz Lang fellow is, is just totally He's ripped off Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah. I, I was watching that and going, that's Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. yeah. And this, this scene, in The fact, scientist, the mad scientist. With the, uh, the, the light streaming through the window and there's like the, the bars on there and, and yeah. the mad scientist is, is framed by I thought, well... That's Edward Scissorhands, right? Yeah, there. it is. But it's it's also there's uh, the bit where they walk up to the, the door and bang on the door. I mean, that's um, Beetlejuice. Yeah, and so on. So clearly, I didn't realize Tim Burton had gotten so much of his film cues off, and it's probably not just this no, one it's, movie. It's, it would be this whole it's film noir, nineteen uh, twenties yeah. era German um, expressionism. German expressionism, yeah. which is uh, which I think I should probably watch more of because it was. Freaking fantastic, mind you! And all the actors look like Johnny Depp with their, <laughs> the, the coal rimmed eyes, and, they, the, uh, and they wear a lot of uh, was it eyeliner? Yeah, you know, and, they, and they, they do. just a lot of physical movement and expression. Mm. Yeah, very, very good. Very Johnny um, Depp. But and the other thing I was looking at, then I went, "Wow, this is also you know really just ripping off a bit of Blade Runner." Yep. The the whole city layout, yeah, the yeah. flying, it just changed that the building, eh? like the to, main building. Yeah, like, well, it's like it. a pyramid. Like it, it's kind of 
very similar to Blade Runner, right? That's it. I mean, it even even has the uh, machine mention mm. that uh, it turns indistinguishable yes. from a person. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that, that's what I I got this this real revelation watching Metropolis. I watched it so long ago, like when I was literally a ten year old or something or other. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw it by mistake. And so I kind of remembered that it's black and white and it's got its silent movie. And I remember like the the image of um, the Maria robot yeah. and so forth. But I had no clue what was going on there. And certainly now watching it uh, with this, you know, the joy watching it, looking, mm. looking for all the goodness in it, I went, wow, this, I now know why so many people rank Metropolis as being one of the most influential science fiction mm. films yeah, yeah. ever made because it's uh, it's produced the basic language from which everyone takes verbs. Yep. If you if you like if that's sort <laughs> of like a if that analogy continues working totally. there, or or descriptors, you know, it's um, yeah. people go, well let's let's have a futuristic um, you know, big hustling, bustling new New York type sort of a thing. And so you, you end up with you know the fifth element and blade runner yep. and uh what's another one of these ones that are flying through like the, the star wars movies mm. and you can keep listing them i'm sure i obviously on the spot i've run out of ideas but yeah uh and then just this idea of robots indistinguishable from people causing mm. trouble yeah, where you yeah. get like the terminator for example yeah, yeah. and uh, we did um surrogates yes. for example yeah, and yeah. you know yeah it's just when you're when you're watching this movie, you just keep an eye out uh, for that. But the other thing I've got from this movie was the special effects. Mm. Again, this is one of the first films to feature like a serious take on science fiction. Yeah, you know, tackling serious issues because previous there, there have been previous science fiction, but they've kind of been a little bit silly. Yeah, uh, this one's serious and made use of serious special effects like that transformation of the robot for example there's yeah. rings floating up in it this is 1927 yep. and it's yep. got these just beautifully smoothly flowing animated rings yeah. which looked as good or better than most stuff through the 70s and 80s yep uh, and and even like when you just and we'll come back to it a bit later but even special effects like you, did you notice like those landscapes of the city that then you had like marching people yeah, on oh, a yes. tiny little walking Brilliant. bridge. That was but the... then at the same time on another bridge you had like cars and a plane, you know. There was moments that there was basically just drawings of a city, you know, that were very basic. But then there was other moments. And, it, and you know what it reminded me a lot of in that way, watching it this time, that it's a little bit like, you know, when we did do 2001, A Space Odyssey, yeah. that you saw Kubrick using, and, he, and his crew, not just Kubrick, but like kind of being extremely clever with the use of camera and props and settings like that spiraling shot that suddenly makes people look like they're upside down. So it's very alien. It's very out of space. Mm. But he's just using perspective to achieve that, right? Like he's just moving the set. But like you watch other films and they don't do that. You know what I mean? And there's the same here. Like it's just the same old thing. It's like here's a drawing of a big building but instead of just having a drawing of a big building, it's also like, I'll get the marching guys and we'll just t like shrink them. We'll project them and we'll shrink them. You know what I mean? Like it, well, there it's was really clever. The, there's using this thing called the 
uh, Schuften uh, process, yep. which is a process developed and largely produced in Metropolis. Yeah. So it had sort of been played with a little bit, and it's, it's based off a, a stage uh, Pepper's Ghost or yep. whatever it's called. But it's it's modified for use with cameras. Yeah, yeah. And it's since it was then modified then up to being using mats, which was using like Star Wars and so forth. Mm. But then also, um, you know, in blue screen. But this is the modified version of this was what Kubrick mm. used. Yeah. So Kubrick then sort of in uh, used the green screen with this process mm. in order to dynamically place people in yeah, things yeah. but this was back in 1927 so like they could 50 stick, years earlier they could I mean, stick people into these big scenes and sets mm. with all sorts of stuff going around yeah yeah this was most recently oh it was used in alfred hitchcock yeah, uh, yeah. blackmail the three nine steps apparently uh most recently peter jackson in lord of the rings yep. return of the king he yep, used yep, that yep, for yep. a couple of scenes for um like minas tirith and so forth yeah so yeah again Going, cutting on. You sort of think 1927, 100 years ago. This is before World War Two. Yeah. So they didn't, I don't know, did they even have plastics? They had, they had some real <laughs> basic, um, you know, preliminary sort of plastics mm. and um, really the sort of materials we're used to today, they just didn't have. No, no, no. And things are, you, you can, if you look closely, you can see that things are more artistically created so it's like probably painted or it's like cardboard or it's wood Sculpting, that's been constructed yeah, yeah. you know it's been because even those um you know the seven deadly sin sculptures uh, you know the what do you call them you know the things that are like on normally on churches and stuff like the, he goes to that moment where there's those statues yeah. but you can tell that they're not statues they're people but it's it's like isn't that such a clever way because later in the film they're going to move yeah. so instead of like making them statues and then they're going to be clay molds or something like back in 92 like no they'll just be people you just go stand still yeah they just be like <laughs> they will use makeup like they're really clever like we'll use makeup and costume to kind of pull it off cheaper than getting it, a sculptor in yeah 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 you know so it's like it's whereas these days it'd be like oh no we'll you know we'll digitally do it on a computer and, and some of the use stuff. of perspective mm, in this is yeah. just incredible uh move, a moving camera as well yeah yeah because yeah. back in 1927 their cinema cameras were not readily movable no they were kind of no, no. they were a bit delicate and and you had to set them up so there's some panning shots mm. you'll basically find almost no dolly shots mm. and certainly no sweeping shots but this had a couple of shots which really were mm. because they they pioneered using a swing yep they put the camera on the swing and that way, it could could go through these motions. They'd film it, yeah, and then yeah, they'd yeah. they'd cut either end of it and just take the the sh one bit they wanted, where the camera sort of seems to zoom in or mm. sweep past something. And you know, like there's a couple shots where it's just like the person's hand pointing from the camera, so mm. it's actually the point yeah. of view of Doctor Rotwang, yeah, yeah, uh, Rotwang, uh, <laughs> pointing at the guy's chest. Yep, and even those sort of perspective. Um, uncommon these days, mm. but it was a very effective, very effective. Bit. So that's my number one take on Metropolis is just uh, 1927 Fritz Lang, mind blowing um, developer of science fiction language, film language, yeah, yeah, film just, language, yeah. and and is considering that films hadn't been around that long in 1927. Mm. Like in 1927, they've they've had. In terms of real cinema, they've they've had 
20 years. Yeah, maximum. Yeah. Like, yep, yep. films go back into the 1800s, but we're talking genuine sort of commercial cinema type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 20 years or so you at could, best. You could see that he took some... Because it, so it's something like about... I'm just trying to remember in my mind. It's something like 1880 is the Lumiere brothers, right? Like, they're the ones that started film. But in those first, you know, once you start talking feature films, 1900, 1910, 1920, um, they were very... And you can see lots and lots of them, the, the silent era, like, they're kind of plays... But yeah, filmed, like, right? Like films, like, screen, um, yeah, stage plays. It's yeah. almost just like they were... And even the actors in Metropolis, you can see that the actor is so used to acting for a stage, you know what I mean? Like the way they act, they use their body so differently than mm. a modern-day actor. Um, but, yeah, so when you get to 1927 and then someone, a film like this where you've got a director and, and also his crew going... Oh, no, but we need to kind of like expand that. We need to use this language system. I mean, there is, and you, someone like myself that went to film school, this is a film that there's so much about it in terms of film language. It's not only science fiction. It's like film language. And you've just talked about some of them like perspective and stuff. Yeah, so I think that's really um, powerful stuff. And it's worth going to have a look at this film. Oh, yeah. If, if you like your science fiction, you like your cinema, you got to watch this you do. It's a long film, worth it. So, worth. Mark, <laughs> speaking of the film, is it a hope, a warning, or an experiment? This is a total hope. I reckon this is completely hopeful. Even though man is horrible to other men in this film, and it takes someone to kind of like uprise, at the end of the day, the message of this film is like, you have the upper class and you have the working class, and essentially, they actually have to come together to make a successful society mm. and so to me it's like and you know the the prophet maria says you know the the head and the hand is fine and they give the metaphor of the story of babel or babel that you know the the head came up with a great idea the hand couldn't achieve it because they couldn't communicate with each other and that's pretty much even metropolis it's the same story it's it's saying that the workers because the workers as we see in the first sort of half of the film are worked to death, right? For the the upper class to just be frolicking around and having a good old gay time, you know? Um, whereas, and so it's the same story, right? So it's like, whereas if you have, and, and, and at some point that we know that at some point, and we've seen so many other stories, you keep a population down or a people down, at some point they're going to burst up and destroy the masters. Yeah, they won't, they won't be too happy. No. And, you know, like we saw it in South Africa in terms of, you know, like the race. I mean, eventually it does. It, it Like it boils over, okay? Like w people will never stay as the underclass forever. They might unfortunately suffer for 100 years or 200 years. But at some point, humans will not put up with absolute bullshit. Well, we and so we so. need to have the middle ground. And I mean, again, as someone that is only, you know, a child of the 80s, etc., I don't understand World War One. I. I don't understand World War Two. I can only understand it through text. You look at a story like this, again, from the German perspective, where they were like fighting World War One, and then they've been destroyed by the Americans and the British and, you know, blah, 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 and sort of put in their box and divided up and, you know, right, this is the way you're going to do business now. You could sort of understand maybe 10 years after that outcome, a generation growing up and, and being a little bit maybe 
feeling like they are this underclass mm. to the rest of the world. And so you're exactly right that this story becomes a bit of an anthem to breed possibly Nazism <laughs> ideology, right? And Joseph Goebbels, who became that major media maestro in Germany under Hitler, you know, he was one of the side right-hand mans of Hitler and realistically, you know, that propaganda machine. This film itself, although it's brilliant in so many ways, can be seen as a bit of a starting point of that German propaganda machine towards that awful Nazi Well, this point is of view. one of the reasons why there are so many versions of this. The original yeah. version, it things got cut out and one of the um, revisions that was done was removed um, what was considered communism sympathies mm, yeah. before. And that's why you, you've gone from a two and a half hour film down to a 90 or an 84 minute <laughs> film. Hey, that's censorship on its own, isn't it? That I mean, makes almost no sense whatsoever. No, it doesn't. But it's, I, I, I do like, the crap bits. I like <laughs> the message you hope here where yeah. as it, 10 years earlier, the Russians had had their revolution Yep. where, which I, I, my personal theory on that was, that this was the exact thing that happened, that Russia at the time was quite poor, had a lot of basically illiterate peasants, and the ruling class, or the czars, were in a whole other world as far as comfort and power and wealth were concerned, and they had no notion what was going on. And, uh, and know, Was it the same in Germany at that you, time? You, I mean, I and, and there was this big... Overthrow. Yeah. You know, the working class just sort of you know, were, were roused up by a bunch of philosophers and went, hey, yeah, let's, Damn philosophers. let's get on with this. And, <laughs> and I think afterwards they kind of probably thought, you know, I'm not sure we're that much better off really. But I think it had to happen. This story here, I like to think, and, and this is why I find it funny that they actually cut the communism out because what the answer here is is sort of saying, oh, there's this like a communist revolution is happening. Mm. The workers are rising up to you know, yeah, yeah, seize yeah. control of the, the power. But what the answer is, Fritz Lang puts for you, says, no, no, well, yeah, you're going to have people butting heads. The, the poor people are rising up to overthrow the, the rich mm. and the rich are scheming these terrible schemes to destroy the poor. Yeah. You need, you need compassion in the middle. You, you need someone sort of say, hey, hey, you know, let's... Let's all talk about what we want and really need and how we can work together and solve it. So I think that's that, that message of hope. Um, how you want to interpret what being a mediator of the heart means, and this mm. is always the problem because invariably uh, everyone on each side of history will say, I was doing this for the best of purposes well, and the reasons, right, right? you know, it was, yeah. it was to help my people, I helped my friends, I helped my family. It was, uh, and everyone short of the, the real, like genuine grade, a psychopath serial killers will have these, um, justifications where they believe they do that. Even there's plenty of psycho serial killers who also are deluded into thinking that they were, you know, saving the world. Yeah, um, that's right. Or, or something along those lines. I, I think hope for me in the simplistic level that, at the end of the day, it takes the upper class and the lower class and a mediator, which is the son, the main character, to kind of like... I mean, it's a bit... It, when you break it down like this, I did it with my son tonight. I told him the story in three minutes. 
because he came in when I was watching about half of it last night and he was like, what the hell's going on here? Um, why is it black and white and there's no talking? <laughs> doesn't make any sense in his brain. Uh, and it doesn't make sense in my brain, really. But anyway, the the point, well, like I explained him the plot tonight in about three or four minutes and, and the, the concept there is that, yeah, the film essentially is saying those different elements do have to come together. You need the rich and the powerful and the the ideas. You know, you, you need, need the brains. You need the brains. You need the people thinking outside the box. But then you also need the physical labor to make those things come. But you need a bridge between that. You need all three. And it, and the metaphor is like the head, the heart, and the hand need to come together. Mm. Um. So so it makes a lot of sense. I I do on top just because we're talking about this kind of idea that. Lang Fritz Lang many moons later came out and said he hated he did not like the film he did oh. he was he detested the film and he said that it was because it was his ex wife because they became ex uh. they 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 separated and it was her thesis her idea wasn't his idea it was one of it the, wasn't his one of the greatest science fiction films ever made was all her fault it's all her fault right but then <laughs> then the but right. And and he and he and part of that was because he said, oh, because he fled Germany, right? Yeah. He's one of these filmmakers that, and this is what I want to say here. And you guys out there, if you're really keen on on film, because I learned all about this at film school, he's one of these film, German filmmakers. There's a whole bunch of them that basically, because when he made Metropolis, Germany, and that's what we call German expressionism. There was an era there of about ten or fifteen years. It was the best cinema in the world, Germany. Right, they were just pumping out the best stuff. This is an example of it. It became some of the best stuff because Nazis, as the Nazis grew, they pumped so much money into it under that Goebbels guy, right? Yeah. Now, the odd thing is, a few of the artists, the filmmakers, you can imagine, you're a creative person, I'm a creative person, you're sitting there and you're going, the funds are here. They're funding us right now and they're funding my stories. Hello, this is the best society in the world. And then a few years later, they start going, sorry, I want your story, but can you tweak it a little bit to approve communism? And you go, no, 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 no. Have, have a few my, more blonde my actual, people. Yeah, in have action. a few. And you're like thinking, yeah, okay, all right, all right, it's worth it. It's the money. A couple of years later, yeah, but we just want to tweak it again, sorry. We just want to tweak it again. You go, no, okay, this is wrong now because I actually literally am looking at society and it's bullshit now, right? And that, and your choice then is if you stand up and you go, this society is bullshit, you're, they're going to murder you. They're going to cull you down, whatever they're going to do to you. So artists in Germany during this era of the 90, late 20s and then it goes into the 1930s, it took the Nazis 10 years of propaganda to get them to that point to convince the everyday German person, you know, 10 years of propaganda bullshit to go from... You know, like this is our society to, you know, let's just take the Jews out the back, you know, and do whatever we do to them. Like an everyday person, it was 10 years of that crazy conundrum and propaganda that, you know, the everyday person can't really be blamed for as good old fashioned brainwashing. A lot of those artists during the 30s and once you get to like 39, 40 when the war broke out, they fled because they're like, this place is shit now, right? Like, it's not working for me. And a lot of them, including Fritz Lang, they fled to the US. And basically what happened was that's when Hollywood, the real Hollywood was born, mm. right? And this is one, Fritz Lang is one of these guys that awesome German filmmaker, really good American filmmaker. Like, and he's one of them. There's a whole bunch. He's not alone. There's a whole bunch. And essentially, when you look at the time frame of Hollywood, 
that's when Hollywood took on a whole new path. It's interesting. I'll point out here, there's also a similar, let's say, coincidence here. It could be cause and effect, could be correlation. Mm. Around the end of the 90s, (laughs) around the end of the 90s, we're coming into the Matrix and and Mm. around that period, action films in Hollywood, you know, Mission Impossible and so on. They all started to take on a far more dynamic and exciting. They did. And why is that? Modern. Well, Hong Kong was oh. being reverted back to the Chinese in 97. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all of these Hong Kong action directors... Did who, they just see the path? Who were like, you know, mm. so you're talking... So that's obviously Jackie Chan. And we've got, you know, um, Samuel Ang Hung. Lee. And, yeah, Ang Lee. And, and um, the actress Michelle Yeoh, who has mm. also done some, her own film work and so on. They all, they all left because they all went... This year, well, I'm not sure how we're going to be dealt with. Hey, under... can we do Face Off? Is that a science fiction movie? <laughs> it is a bit science fiction. It's a bit because he takes the face and puts it on someone else's yeah, face. Yeah, that's I mean, experimental geez. surgery. And that, that story could only happen with that scientific Jeez, science. Jeez, we, we have to do that. But yeah, so yeah, <laughs> end of the 90s, we had the same thing with re- revolution or revitalization of action did, movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, it's happened time and time again. There's different cinema periods, but... Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. But I do want to say with Lang, he, he didn't like the film. He blamed his wife. Part of it was his ex-wife, sorry, I should say. he And it was her novel, all right? So just put that into context. It was her novel they turned into a script. Um, he said, you cannot take a social conscious picture in which you say that the intermediary between the hand and the brain is the heart. I mean, that's a fairy tale. Definitely. That's quote word for word. Sorry. Fairy tale. But he says he was very interested in machines. So that's how he was sold on the on the story idea. Anyway, I didn't like the picture, thought it was silly and stupid. Then when I saw the astronauts in real life, what else are they but part of the machine? So he changed his mind years later on the idea of his own film, which he didn't like. Mm. When he saw astronauts and he thought, well, they are part of this machine. They are part of this society. And I thought that was such an amazing quote for us here in Space Brains as well because we're talking about science, we're talking about the love of science, talking about films that really get into it. And you think, wow, this is someone that's made a film that's kind of really revolutionized science fiction film like you said earlier. And I totally agree. Like how many other films have homaged this film? He didn't like it. And then years later he's realized, well, hang on. The machine aspect is also like it's our society. It's the Matrix. Yes. All so, of the so it's kind of like he's blowing his own. Yes, views. they're making us. It's well, it is entirely true, and this is something that we do need to remember and respect: is the fact that the only reason I'm able to sit and program computers is because prior to me, there's a, like a leading from me going down to. Uh, maybe the agricultural worker, mm. there's a whole pyramid of support mm. which is necessary functional society in order to get to the point where you have computers for programming. That's right. If you don't have people growing food and fixing tractors and building uh, all the various tools and making use of the machinery and running the electricity and all the rest of it, you're not going to... Like, if all yeah. that went away, we've joked about it before, if there was a, an apocalypse... Yeah, you know, I'd be kind of left going, well, uh, okay. Mm. <laughs> I'll wait a couple hundred years for a new computer, shall I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's like it's it's 
him seeing the process of like the machine of science fiction and what that means in society and then looking at it in reality, you're saying computer code and he's saying astronauts and realizing that his comment of his film is also there. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing was he did flee the G- Germany, whereas his ex-wife stayed and she became part of that machine of Nazism. Hmm. You know, she joined that, you know, which a lot of media... They, they, I mean, can you imagine... I mean, you can't even really... Th- I mean, you just said the Hong Kong example and we saw recently, you know, like that last thing the Chinese did about a month ago, which was kind of basically making Hong Kong just completely under the rule, you know, whatever Because when they took over Hong Kong, they had to... It's a transition. They had to sort of say... It's a transitioning, It's a long game. We can't just chop everything (laughs) off in there. No, they're they're doing it slowly, but that last thing that happened about a month ago, and there's a few people outspoken, and I saw, uh, I think she was the ex-Prime Minister, is that right, Prime Minister of Hong Kong, whatever, she spoke out about it, she's saying it's terrible, she needed the West... She was saying, pleading, basically saying the West need to, you know, put more pressure on China and blah, blah, blah. But she also mentioned that some of the real outspoken people have fled. And that's what it made me think of. Like, can you mm. imagine this time of artists, filmmakers, photographers, uh, cinematographers, anyone in the media industry, journalists, or whatever, like going, you can either stay and you're basically pro-Nazi. Mm. And remember, there's that really famous photographer um, and... Do you know her name? Anne Lips, Lips or whatever? No. If you're out there, let me know her name. I've just blanked on it a little bit. But she's a famous photographer, world-renowned photographer, beautiful photographer. She stayed with the Nazis. And it's the same with his wife. She stayed with the Nazis. She made films for the Nazis. So can you imagine? Like, that's the thing. You're sitting there like what that scenario I said before. Like, sorry, we're funding your films. Great. And then five years later, we're funding your films, but well, we, we need more white people. We need more blonde. We need we, more blue eyes. We like to You're bring like, it yeah, more. Okay, I can sort of do that. And then Marvel, five years later, it's more like Marvel approaches yeah. us and says, "Hey, I love space brains. <laughs> do a space brains episode, but but tell us that the Marvel movies are great. <laughs> tell us about how much you love Marvel superhero movies. You're like they're kind of not science fiction. No, pretend they okay. are science yeah, fiction. Yeah, right, we can do that. We can do that. Go, and then five okay. years later, they're like, "No, tell us that they are science fiction." Yeah. You're like, no, ah. Well, they're kind of more fantasies or or fairy tale. Like, they fit into that sort of, you know, parable type story. Tell us or Hemsworth is going to tie you up and beat you to death. That's basically what it got to. (laughs) Tell us and he'll do that? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I know you're into that, but you know. But it'll be Liam Hemsworth. (laughs) That's right. Oh, God, no. No. No, it's not even Liam, is it? Isn't it that other Hemsworth? Luke. Luke. (laughs) It'll be Luke Hemsworth. It'll be Luke Hemsworth, the guy that doesn't do it. He'll sell your house. Oh, God. And then he'll come around. And then he'll come around. So, yeah, yeah, can you imagine the media? We loved you in Infinity. Yeah, we did love him in Infinity. Uh, so, yeah, the, it's an interesting thing from Fritz Lang, this whole scenario, you know, like it's a, it's a bizarre... I can't even imagine being a filmmaker leading up to that era of the 1930s in Germany, being such a prosperous media space and then heading towards communism more and more every single day but, and well, like... Not communism. Uh, uh, Nazism. Nazism. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I, they, I, had, they had a problem with communists. They did have a problem. <laughs> yeah. And but just yeah, it's the old fashioned analogy, isn't it, of which good old science putting the frog in cold water and just slowly warming it up. 
you know? And I think that's what happened here. Like some people like Lang fled, but others didn't, including his ex-wife who made a pretty cool film here, the one we're talking about tonight. Yeah, it was pretty good. And you can imagine, like, Goebbels came out and said, this is a great movie. He gets uh, it. He just, understands it. Jeez. You, <laughs> you worry, you know, wouldn't like, you? You, you, you know. and I are saying this is a good movie, and he said it was a good movie. Uh, I'd be like if if someone... Uh, could you imagine Alan Jones of, of Sky News came out and talked about how wonderful Space Brains was? Yeah, that's right. And you'd be like, like horrified. What, what have we been doing wrong? Yeah, what, are we, what are we doing wrong here? <laughs> I know. So anyway, I need to talk about it, sorry, because I do love this movie. I do love Fritz Lang and I do love that it's an interesting approach when you see the filmmaker talk about not liking their film and then kind of years later realising it, but also this kind of, I don't know, I mean, this extreme moment in human history, right? Like, And that's what I'm saying, like, we like this film. I like this film. So many filmmakers acknowledge this film and yet it is part of the propaganda machine essentially yeah it got co-opted because like, this it was filmed before the nazi party oh was, well like, and truly well, yeah, well yeah, before yeah. then but they, they weren't doing they anything kind until 36 ish yeah leading into 30 obviously 39 was the big big bang but yeah late 30s is when they started doing it but they're picking this up and saying they're realizing that this is the start that they can they can start playing off. So anyway, I need to talk about it because it is one of those things. And and I know we're well beyond Nazism apart from a few freaks in our society. But um, you know, and if you are a Nazi out there, come get me. I need to talk to you. <laughs> we're going to sit down and we're going to watch Metropolis together. We're going to mediate <laughs> with a heart. That's right. You come talk to me, your mother. And uh, I'm going to explain to you why I think this film is good. And it, oh, man. We not in the to, same way that Goebbels thought We'll so. go into powerful detail about how good this film <laughs> oh, is. Oh, God. If we suddenly get some followers <laughs> online that are Nazi followers at the same time, I'm going to be extremely upset. But anyway, uh, are you up to any recent science fiction stuff, uh, look, sorry, I've, or I've, your creative stuff? Well, I've got to tell you. Tell us. You know, I've Please been change talking, the subject. I've been talking about my <laughs> short story that yes. I turned into... Yeah. Become a novella, and yeah, yeah, now yeah. I'm uh, a Netflix a, series. I'm writing a, a TV series, and, and the pilot episode turns out most of my world and story is Metropolis. Oh God, it's a it's a That's Nazi a pro story again, isn't it? it <laughs> you've hmm. just you've just accidentally stumbled upon. I've always wondered about the white power flags that you have up around this uh, podcast studio. No, no, they're like they're, they're ancient Buddhist they were, symbols for good luck. Yeah, <laughs> no, I thought they were like I thought they were metropolis symbols. You know? yeah, metro- no, it's, <laughs> no, I'm only joking. But, but seriously, that there was yeah this. I guess we were talking before we started recording. This goes to show the strength of the metropolis. Yeah, your movie language, yes. the, the storytelling, and so forth. Is that it's come through so many other uh, movies and stories. It's become part of my basic base reference material when I'm mm. thinking of um, imagery and and stories. And I I do like stories like this. This is one of my things. Yeah, you know, like I like the um, the the person who changes mm. from you know. I like I like people who who might be seen as bad actually not being that bad i like that transformation in viewpoint and uh this has got the you know the religious stuff and my my source has got similar sort of types of religion and this 
um, you know, class structures and, and mm. other bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's uh, I'm not going to talk about what working on stuff, but yeah, I was just uh, watching this movie, going, okay, so yeah, my my story is <laughs> tremendously derivative of Metropolis, yeah. which having watched Metropolis is probably not a bad thing, because as I said, all of Tim Burton's work is derivative of Metropolis yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is to say, you know, Metropolis must have obviously done very well. Well, the thing is, for all creatives, we start at a point of, and I mean, this sounds maybe bad, but we do start at a point of copying. And then, because look at your children, look at my, you know, my children do the same thing. The first thing they do is kind of copy and emulate. That is human. Mm. We copy and and there's such an emphasis, you know, like I'm in academia in my full-time job at the moment. Like there's such an emphasis on plagiarism and shit, right? But realistically, we all start from a point of copying and there's nothing wrong with that really because it's, it's, it's your reference point. And then you might go, oh, realize that copying, what you're just mm. saying right now. Oh, crap. My story is a lot like Metropolis. And then, so then the question is when, when it becomes not plagiarism, you going, ah, it's similar and I, I don't mind homage in it, but how can I make it different? It's, and that's I, the bit that is I interesting. I do have to say, my, my story is far more fairy tale oriented yeah. in its themes and its approach. Yeah. Uh, but the similarities of this metropol- metropolis, metropolis city with, um, you know, the people living up yeah, high the upper, in the clouds. Yeah. And, and a thousand stories. You did talk about that previously. I wasn't thinking of this in terms of Metropolis. I was more thinking yeah. in terms of H.G. Wells, Time yeah, Machine, yeah. Eloy, Murlocs, except I was thinking, but what if the Eloy were actually just as industrious and so forth as the Murlocs, yeah. but, you know, white collar, if you like. And I mean, this is the interesting thing is like Lang said that they did look at H.G. Wells and they did look at Frankenstein. Like Mm. these were kind of their inspirations. But then you can see how, uh, you know, especially something like Blade Runner has homaged this film and Demolition Man has homaged this film. And even The Matrix has homaged this man. I, Robot. uh, and, And to me as well, like, yes, Edward Scissorhands, you can see Tim Burton has taken, like, the scientist in this film, like, you could see a version of the scientist and and even the father was kind of a mould of those two, if yeah, that made sense. Because I, I only... Scissorhams in... Scissorhams. Scissorhams. <laughs> he's is, cutting up the hams. <laughs> is the machine man. Yeah, the machine like... man, right? Yeah, it's the same kind of... I only watched, I only watched Edward Scissorhams a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> no, a couple of months ago, uh, and uh, I, I'm like watching this. Is like I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, far out, Tim Burton and David Lynch as well oh, as another yeah. filmmaker, uh, th- because David Lynch and Tim Burton. I mean, and, and I mean, this is they do go hand in hand. I mean, come on, come come talk to me privately about that. Scissorhands and Scissorhands and Lynchy boy with Twin Peaks. They all kind of raise a head. They all go together, and we'll talk about them on Space Brains at some point. But. Um, you could see all that direction, but yeah, like, I mean, Blade Runner, and I'm going to say it, like, Blade Runner is not one of my top science fiction films, even though a lot of people say it, that it's out there, but you look at, you look at Metropolis, and then watch Blade Runner, and you're like, 
the city. Like, it's the same sort of city. Same city. Uh, again, machine people. In, machine in people. Causing trouble. Yeah. yeah. Uh, class, struggle, no one around. Like, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. So your story, Sari, you're talking about, oh, I can see some. So that's the thing. Are you copying? Is there just some homages I, or I, similarities? I think it's just the case that, yeah, like the Metropolis is in so many following mm. stories and movies and so forth that I have consumed yep. that when I've distilled all the things that I like from those things down to a story, it starts looking again like Metropolis. Yeah. Because you, know, Metropolis sort of, you can imagine Metropolis spreads out a diaspora of idea which gets picked up <laughs> by all of these uh, films. And then I go and watch all those films and go, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice. I like that, I like and, that, And yeah. pull that together and it looks like what got scattered in the first place because mm. you just, you pick the nice bits and it turns out uh, a lot of what Metropolis, the themes and, and ideas and, and images used in it are ones that I like and they're the ones that I like from these other films. I like that gothic. I like the um, you know reference to biblical terms and salvation and damnation and these um, you know uh, concepts of societies or, or people as me- mechanical or, or you know um, chemistry in 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 my exit plan books I refer to the universe as being a complex chemical reaction mm. uh, that we're a part of yeah. Uh, yeah and that's yeah, how yeah. I sort of explain a bit of the magic in that in that you know you fill it with one bit and it has repercussions further on through this you know, a machine-like fashion. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not too surprising now when I watch this movie that, yeah, that's all a lot of the themes and ideas that I love are in Metropolis. Of course. I can't believe Lang stole all my ideas. <laughs> Copyright, he, very much. When he was talking about H.G. Wells, he developed a time machine. He came out and he read my stuff. He went yeah, back. That's right. Okay, how about yourself? I saw you've, um, you mentioned a horror film short. Yeah, this is one that, I mean, again, you talk about homages. I mean, this is like a homage to Blair Witch Project. It's found footage. It's something that I just went and did as an experiment. Last is his camping trip, isn't it? It is. And it was basically just, I was totally on my own. I did it as a bit of an experiment to see what I could pull off if I was just totally on my own out in the bush or the forest here in Western Australia and... Maybe what I could, even though I'm in this beautiful surrounding, could I come up with something that's a little bit horrific, which is where my brain goes to. And just as a filmmaker, like what could I come come up with on the spot? Um, and it was a really fun, creative process. Uh, it sat on my digital hard drive for a little while. And um, yeah, just the last couple of weeks after I've got my next film uh, progressing, so that like now I'm sort of in that pre-production where the crew is coming together. I just thought, so that's a totally different film, but I just thought, well, yeah, I'll sit down and start editing this. And yeah, I got a chance with this four day Easter break to spend, you know, like a solid five hours <laughs> on it. And it was funny because it was do kind have of three little kids. Yeah. Yeah. I do have three little kids. So I know they can sound, and they, they interrupted me about 1800 times during those five hours, but I actually had five hours. Like I didn't have to think about work. Basically, my writing is at a point where it's paused and, hey, I can just kind of play with this. And it was a very creative play experience and I had a lot of fun and I kind of liked the outcome. And 
And then, yeah, when we get to a couple of days later, I did a bit of a refinement and ran it past my brains trust, my wife, who said, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's funny. It's, you know, there's a little bit of horror in it. And yeah, so I'm putting it out there. Why not? Sounds good. <laughs> so yeah, I've just kind of like decided I'm just going to do this like seven days of like promoting it publicly and it will be available next Sunday. And it's called Stickman and it's a found footage kind of concept horror thriller idea. Sounds pretty sweet to me. And it's a total rip-off of Blair Edge. <laughs> straight up, straight like, up. Just, just as, as I mean, like a found footage concept, you know, yeah. like you know, like Blair Witch's three people go into the woods to follow a witch and you just kind of have that found footage and, and all that survives is their footage. It's the same concept here, but it's a different creature. It's called a stick man and yeah, that's what it is. That's a bit that, of fun. Well, yeah, sounds great. Uh, I've been... I've been thinking about doing some computer animation stuff as yeah, well. Yeah. I've got like a, just for space brains, a few mm. ideas. Yep. We'll see. Well, I mean, that's the thing as well where uh, it, 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 I feel Metropolis, sorry, watching it again has kind of concreted into me a bit of a love and a definition of science fiction, mm. which will help space brains evolve for our next step as well. Coming up of space brains as festival, we, 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 um, revealed a little bit on our last episode and we'll be revealing more. Hopefully, maybe almost by the time we get to the next episode, we might actually be launching something. Um, but that's even another thing. But I feel like watching Metropolis and talking about what you just said before, like all of the key things that Metropolis talks about, the science and the philosophy and the religion side of it coming together, which is part of... And the gothic side, you know, is all part of Metropolis. Like, that's mm. kind of the definition of science fiction, isn't it? This film is the definition of science fiction. It it does because it's one of those it kind of ones ticks where... all those things. Yeah, it, it looks to some sort of a, an alternate vision mm. of the way the world could be. Yeah, yeah. It puts a, a current kind of scenario but reimagines it with this robot involved. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, uh, robot revenge plot, mm. which if you took the robot out of it you wouldn't have this story it couldn't no. play out like this you'd have to have some sort of a more you know you you couldn't it would be it would become farcical yeah. you know where you, you'd be playing oh some dude wearing a costume is pretending to be maria you know and then then you have like some sort of a little mix-up switcheroo at the end you know like it just wouldn't make any sense if you mm. didn't have uh you know either clones or a robot or something yeah, you know? yeah. And I think I think the thing is like here you have that real underclass struggle because it's very appropriate to nineteen twenty seven Germany and probably globally a little bit, you know, like a real class mm. struggle. Whereas in twenty twenty one you take it like an Australian society, American society, the class struggle is probably not as strict as it's it not is. As here. Obvious. But that's why then you take something like the Matrix, which is why we consider the Matrix such a classic like the matrix is made out of that era of you know computers booming and the techno the possibilities of computers and then that understanding that we might have done something wrong with the coding and the computers are going to just fuck up as in the Y2K bug and that's kind of the birth of the matrix like how extreme can we take it because that's what this is right like yeah. it's the same thing right it's like you you have this german society like how extreme could you take that society you take it to this point this level right where you have one class that's like frolicking around in the summertime and the other class that's like literally like 
if they don't keep moving a machine, they're going to die and that machine swallows them up and they have to sacrifice, like, not just one or two of them, but thousands of them, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's such an extremity and that's always a good definition of sci-fi, right? Like, and the same with Demolition Man. Like, you take, oh, like, this ultra-violent society. What's the, what's the antithesis of that? Oh, an ultra peaceful society you know yeah we'll, we'll, and we'll take that to a a ridiculous level where there's a little voice that finds you finds constantly you even for, when you just swear yeah wanting you, to use salt on your food you go, yeah. oh, no salt has been deemed as bad for you yeah, and everything yeah. that's bad is illegal yeah, yeah. yeah that's right yeah, yeah take it to that extreme it's the same with the have you read the huxley book um ah oh. Brave New World. Brave New World. The same with that, right? Like you have the like you have the tribal world. Before and you get into it, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that that's, that's know the, the most famous one. Oh. Yes, and 1984. Like you take these extremities of society, right? Like one, the way society could be, and you take it to another one. That's all that always gets me excited about sci-fi. I think it is. It's it's pretty good. And so, and, so we should get into the yeah. Detail, let's get right? let's get stuck in this. And you've I think got some German names. We should I get think. straight through. So it's directed by. <laughs> Uh, Frank Long, <laughs> Fritz Lang. Yeah, uh, it's credited uh, the writing credits of Fritz Lang and Thea von Harbaugh, and it stars Bridget Helm as or Maria. Brigitte Helm as Maria. We've got Alfred Abel and Johann Fredersen as Fredersen. As Fredersen, yeah. Yes, uh, Gustav Fröhlich is Freda Fredersen. Is that but, just Fred? I mean, I'm like, it's Fred. <laughs> I found it funny that the son is called Freda and his dad is Fredersen. Yeah. So he's Fred or Fredersen, okay. Mm. Um, uh, Rudolf, Rudolf Klein Roger. I know Rudolf. Yeah, Rudolf. Uh, he's the inventor. He's, he's just got a little one, yeah. Rolled one. Uh, Erfinder uh, C.A. Rotwang, the inventor. Inventor, I think, a Rotwanger. Yeah, Erfinder. <laughs> Yeah. But I liked uh, Fritz Rasp is the thin man, you know, the spy? Oh, he was freaky. Like, he was creepy. Yeah, he, he just... <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, his, his facial expressions yeah. and it, that that same look you could almost sort of say that uh, the Matrix, Mister Smith, mm. uh, Agent Smith, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of had that same sort he of did. facial expressions yeah, yeah. and movements. Very, he was, was very robotic, that guy, right? Uh, like, yeah, it's, it's, the number of Bond henchmen, yeah, have that same look. Like you look at Jaws, yeah, you know the way Jaws sort of walks in. I don't know. It's just yeah. anyway. So it goes on there. We've got uh, Ted or Luce. As Josephat. Yeah, they're the main characters. So it was filmed in Germany, as we said, about 1926, something like that. Release was 27. Now, it had a budget. Now, they, online, they say it was a budget of 5.3 million Reichsmarks. Reichsmarks, yeah. <laughs> roughly, which today would be 38 million euro. Yeah, so it's right? like 50... That's a pretty big budget for a film. Bucks. But it, But it kind of like... Like, it looks like it, right? Like, the sets look like it. So, it doesn't surprise me that it had this I huge know, it budget. Was, those, but I don't know if that's right or not. Like, I don't know. Says, I don't know what the conversion, 5.3 yeah. million Reichs marks. It's sort of stated, every time I read that, it's stated as if that's a big amount. Yeah, a big amount. But I think, when you're talking about, say, 38 million euros, let's call it 50 million Australian or, mm. or you know, 40-something million yeah. US, somewhere in that region, that's actually not a lot for a modern science fiction film. No, like, it's not, but it's a lot. It feels like but I think it was a lot for that era. In 27, the yeah. film cinema audience sizes, yeah, uh, I mean, world population from 1927 to now mm. uh, has got to have doubled or 
tripled oh, even. More than that, yeah, tripled, I'd say. Not to mention the size of the uh, middle class who would be able to mm. go to, to actually pay. go and watch these yeah. things has you know, multiplied enormously. And they couldn't make money back then of like selling the movie to TV and stuff. Or Netflix. So it was, that's right. Like it was just whatever people paid at the cinemas. That's it. Yeah, box office. So the box office they claim is about 2 million US um, is what the numbers I can see on IMDb. So, I mean, 5.3 Reich marks to 2 million US. I'm not sure if that like (laughs) kind of made the money back at the time or not. Um, critically online, it does say that a lot of critics panned this film. Like it kind of took time to settle in. Well, you could um, imagine it's, it's quite different to a lot. Of, it's also yeah. two and a half hours long, the original release. But but Paramount in the US did run it. Like So I don't know. They must have seen something in it, right? Yeah, like, it must, have, must have been worth something. Yeah. Um, I do want to say with Lang, we're going to get into the narrative. You know, obviously he's a German filmmaker, part of that German expressionism uh, I'm not going to go into details, but really what he was famous for before Metropolis was what you call that real German melodrama. And that was a niche that he was born into uh, with these earlier films before Metropolis. What that means is lovely, dark, rich shadows, very creepy stuff for 1920s. We're oh, not yeah. talking human centipede, you know, <laughs> sore stuff, but we're talking 1920s melodrama. Uh, there's a great, I don't know the title off the top of my head right now, there's a great film that he, one of his films opens, it's about a pedophile. Um, and oh, so the child... Okay, dark, creepy yeah, stuff. The, yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is what he was good at, the melodrama of the 1920s. This is what he's known for, sorry. Uh, there's, there's this great shot that a, a pedophile follows this child with a balloon and you threw a cityscape and it's the start of the film. And then you just see the child kind of like goes off camera and the shadow is of the balloon f- disappearing. Oh, dear. So he's like kidnapped the child, right? Like, And it's like Did beautifully. Did Stephen King watch this film? Probably, and- probably. You know, uh, a lot of people. Uh, sorry, we're talking about Fritz Lang. Yes. He's, a, he's a guy that a lot of people like, right? Like, So this was a German, that's a German film of his. If you know the title, let me know. Um, I can't just can't remember it. But this is the creepy stuff that he comes from. He's a very well-thoughtful filmmaker. Um, also, his sets tend to be quite large. This was enormous, Metropolis. Um, but he does build big sets, um, bigger than a lot of other people, and obviously part of that silent era. So we just want to kind of give... I just wanted to give you a little context of where, like, the style of Lang's films were like before Metropolis. So we do start, and I think the opening of this film kind of outlines that. If you watch the first two or three minutes, you pretty much see. So you you see Lang's style. You have these really awesome, interesting uh, shots. They're all intercut of machines. There's big shadows. There's lots of pumping and thumping and twisting and turning of all these big machines, right? Sorry. And um, we also then have these like men marching, but really solemnly, really weirdly in time. Oh, jeez. And there's kind of a check-in, check-out, right? Like, there's a huge horde of men. Like, I don't know, 100? Something like that. And if you notice, the the ones who are marching out are a little bit more broken down. They are. They're broken. They're broken. They're bent bent. over a bit more. But they're all kind of have this uh, posture of... Yeah. Like, they're worn down. As if they're all carrying something heavy, yes. even though they're not carrying anything. Yeah. And that's a really good thing that Sari's just said then. Everything at the start of this film is all about going down. It's all about being down and depressed. 
Um, so the men exit the factory and you see them like going down these huge elevators to the bottom floor. The, in fact, at the start, the credits go down, like the text mm. goes down um, from the top of the screen down, which is very unusual because normally it's scrolling up, like text in cinemas always goes up. So if you ever notice that the text coming down, scroll, a scroll down, it's quite weird. It's a bit abstract, actually. Um, uh, horror gonna, films I've abused ask- it. Because uh, I watched a slightly different version of this to what you yeah. watched. In when I watched, it says, "You know, the workers' city, uh, the workers finish a shift, and that's text scrolled down." It says, and then they go down to the underground city, and that's yeah. scrolled down. Yeah, is that the part you're talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure if that was like a an add-in. No, no, for no. For the no. reversion, reversion <laughs> version. And that is you know? the problem with this film: is there is so many different versions that you you out there in podcast land might be might have watched a different version but um no that that is something that is very intentional like you see there's a lot of that like downbeat and like you said they all seem like they're weighted down right and they've got these big chunky ass shoes chunky ass shoes depressing clothes shaved heads and there's just so many of them which was something that really impressed me i've got to say that you see a lot of this now like i mean if you take tim burden right tim burden's uh, chocolate factory what do you do digitized all the little oompa loompas yeah uh, so it's just the one oompa loompa and it's like times a hundred whereas here you've got like a hundred different men yes you, you know like you like it's, it's 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 so impressive like that it's a, it's a and I think it's also very much like soldiers isn't it it's like a marching militia but of the underclass yeah Um. so we're basically in this big future Um. it's a Huge city. It's a metro- it is a metropolis. Um, we have buildings that go all the way up into the sky. We have a huge array of of um, of uh, building shapes. Like, like I said, there's a bit of a pyramid. There's skyscrapers that are like built on top of skyscrapers. There's subra- subways that are up in the sky. <laughs> there's little old planes. I always love that. Yeah, you know, don't you love that? Looking back at the old f- films when they futuristic and the planes are the old and stuff. You know, like. Yeah, they never thought to like modernize the plane. No, it's just sort of still like the old <laughs> World War One. Yeah, well, to be fair, World but, War One was the first time airplanes got yeah, out and about. That's like, right. Like, when did Wilbur Wright do their first flight? Was nineteen oh three? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I seem to think like something. You like need to look so, at that Peter Jackson documentary. So it's like it's <laughs> airplanes haven't been around for twenty years. That's right. To be fair, they are pretty modern. They are. The old idea of having airplanes flying in between the cities. Uh, you know, buildings would be like, yeah, yeah. whoa, that's that'd be like seeing space shuttles flipping about the place. You know, I'm crazy. always, I, yeah, and I'm always forgiving of a lot of those things. Like, it's the same here, you know, the father, like how he, instead of having like a computer, right, he's got those buttons, yeah, and it's like huge, like, you, but that was extremely futuristic. And he did at one point, Groot, the factory guy. He like does a video phone call with you. Yeah, right? I was like, impressed like, by like, that. Wow, that's pretty cool. Video phone that was like, like two thousand and one. When you're only, again, you're talking about nineteen twenties. Then like telephones, not that old, and he's doing a video telephone. You know? Yeah, like, that's, that was yeah. that was really quite good. Mm. It, that probably is coming from a filmmaker's brain. Like, oh yeah, we're just going to video each other. <laughs> well, it it makes a lot of sense there because yeah. we've we've talked about that movie IO where there was emails. Yes, and they didn't have the guy's voiceover. It was just yeah, it's like. You're going, well, it's a movie. You need to show something. That's right. And so, I, you know, obviously Fritz is going, well, telephone calls are kind of a bit bland and we're in this science fiction environment. Mm. Let's spice it up. 
So we have the the upper class. We have the as we described the lower class marching down. We have then a cut to the upper class. Um, we're told with one of those title cards that um, the upper class live in this uh, this sort of specific top of the skyscrapers, beautiful little garden kind of thing. And so we cut into this like world of. Uh, you know, pompous and ceremony and a beautiful garden. There's women that are really beautiful looking, men in lovely tuxedos, and they're kind of like frolicking around the garden. And one of the one of them uh, says, who's going to be um, free, Fred? I'm going to just call him Fred. Yeah. Uh, who's going to be Fred's like entertainment today? Who's the lucky lady? <laughs> this... This of course shows and the age of the, like the it does. twenty-seven. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. You know, women are a little bit more on there, but at the same time, you have these women, and they're and they're really. It's. I found the costumes really interesting. You know, didn't you? Like how uh, the men were like wearing those puffy kind of horse pants, and then also like the women, like the these women like had these beautiful dresses, but no, you could see under their tops, so you could see their breasts. Yeah. Uh, so you could see something going on, but it was also a bit hidden. It was interesting. And anyway, like one of the women is kind of chosen and then Fred marches in. He does a bit of a dance and they do like a sing and a dong and a dance and they're in this garden together and they're kind of just, you know, they're just having a great old time. About, they're they're playing mucking about. Chasey or she, yeah, they're playing a bit of chasey, a bit of hide and seek, whatever you want. But she wasn't wearing a top that you could see her breasts. It was kind of like a really silk, slick kind of dress. Mm. But then you could really see her legs. And I really thought, you know, like this is 1927, like, Mini skirts don't come about until like the sixties, but you can see a lot of leg there. Well, this this is back to the old right? the nineteen twenties, the flappers, and, the flappers, yeah, and but stuff. Yeah, so this, so I maybe think, it was okay. I think maybe Fritzy he just sort of went, you know what? They they're kind of the extreme. They're, enough. they're the risky yeah. you know, ones here. They they're wearing the hats. They got the short hair because a lot of these women also had the short hair. Yeah, and yeah, they they're did. wearing the the just partially see through stuff, and they're all a bit, um, you know, a bit crazy. Mm. So in the future. Some future thing. This is kind of what high society is like because yeah, it's sort of why not bit carefree. At the don't have the same rules and structures because they're just so rich. Yeah. So he's interrupted, but by you know the elevator doors kind of open and this you know beautiful young woman Maria comes out and she's got again. I mean, this is where I found this film very interesting. Like she's got like fifty kids. Yeah. Doesn't just have like five kids. She has like fifty kids. Yeah. In a modern film, you would have just had maybe. Five to ten. Yeah, they never like dress it. Yeah, yeah, they never dress it this well, right? This like, was this was well. He had like uh, five hundred kids as yeah. extras from the yeah. poor parts of Berlin. They go. were actual poor kids. Yeah, and so they were so just, going cheap. That's, that would have been about fifty kids all clustered around this woman, and she walks in. Give and, you uh, five cents for coming on set for eighteen hours. Yeah, we'll do it. And, <laughs> and old old Freddie, he stops and clutches yeah. at his heart. He so does. dramatic. Oh. I really liked the melodramatic over yeah. exact. Because we didn't have sounds we didn't and, have dialogue, and yeah. the music was all just that orchestral sort of stuff, you got, um, you know, he sort of looked and his his facial expressions and uh, you sort of got used to it. I really quite, yeah, you got quite used to it very quickly. quite like this. this. It's a lot of breast clutching, you know, like, <laughs> you know, he's, he's holding on to Not his heart. Not sexual. His heart, yeah, like you know, yeah. breast clutching <gasps> in the... In the <gasps> In the Greco-Roman fashion, yeah, there's a lot of eyeliner. It's it's basically everyone is Johnny Depp with a lot of yeah. eyeliner and, wash, and like grabbing hold, their heart. He's and, holding his heart. And he's he's looking and he's like, "You're going okay." He's pushing this beautiful woman away from him. He has been 
He's been, you know, struck by something he's never seen yeah, before. He's never seen this before, and he, and that's what basically he asked. Like he asked the the waiters or <laughs> the slaves, whatever you want to call them, and they're like, "Oh, they're the brothers, and the, they're your brothers and sisters." You know, so it's like, "Oh, okay. Well, what the hell does this mean?" So he, um, we get a big shot of the grand scale of Metropolis, um, and we see, uh, we see the city, we see the trains, we see the marching men, we see all the skyscrapers. Um, and he he chases after, and this is what we're getting. We're getting his point of view, um, and he he comes down onto the you know into the factories, and he sees the workers, and he sees this epic scale, doesn't he? Of this like yeah, you know, there's a, like there's about eighteen men as a real, working in sync, a real piece of equipment there. Yeah, that yeah, they, it is. They built and. Yeah, that, Puffing it's, machines. It's like smoke. a dance. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was just by Beyonce. Yeah, like, it was. It could be. That that's very much the do, same thing. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, yeah. and they'd all be like dancing to that beat. Right? But that's what it sort of looks like. You know, yeah. they're, they're sort of moving. The people look like they're moving as parts of the machine because they yeah. all lean over to one side and put their hands in a posture yeah. and then move to the other side with yeah. their hands in a posture. It's and they're all synchronized in time. But like the whole the whole the point there is that they don't get to stop. Right? Like they they're just like they're, that's their shift. They've got to like constantly. It's like this ridiculousness of them of keeping up with the machine. Yeah, it's not human. You why know, don't like, you make a machine to do that? <laughs> that's right. Like and they've got to kind of like, and that's the whole point. Like you, then we start to hone in. He's watching, and like if they don't keep up, the the warning level kind of start. It starts like creeping up towards a warning level. Oh man, so they made that warning level tension. really obvious to us. Yeah, it was very. It was electricity next to it. I have <laughs> it a like, feeling what? that this is because nowadays we understand the concept of like the, the little thermometer or a pressure yeah, gauge yeah. or a little dial with a red section. Yeah, uh, which uh, it's still kind of funny that you even have a red section because yeah. wouldn't you have safety precautions well before you well get to before the red you get to like, the red section? You shouldn't have a red no, section. No, you should on never be page. in the red section. It should just have an off. Yeah. It gets to here, it just turns off. I'm and that's sorry. what I thought watching this is like it had these like electricity bolts. Yeah, they're really showing that this <laughs> It's like if you get to this level, you're in trouble. Because in nineteen twenty seven, you're a cinema goer. You're probably not used to seeing pressure no. gauges or any of this sort of industrial no. type stuff. So yeah, it it and there's some dude he's fallen down and he's He's suffocating from the heat or something yeah, yeah. Or he's, he's trying and he's to trying epically. to get the get the valve and, and it doesn't and it hits that mark and there's a massive explosion and flames and people go I love this flying, people went yeah. flying off that <laughs> thing did. swinging through the air <laughs> crunching all about the place and yeah there was bodies flying Fred everywhere Fred does not take this well no he falls back and he's he's like clutching at his heart again he's clutching his heart <laughs> and and his eyes are going wide and it's like if Seriously, if you haven't seen this film, you've got to see this film to know yeah. what we're talking about. Because until you've watched this film and the way their their faces express and the emotion, the makeup, it's just incredible. So basically, what he's watching then is like this machine exploding, but he he starts to see that the machine is shaped like Donald Trump's face, <laughs> and it just is wide open. The mouth opens up, and these poor workers like march up, and then they're just like they're just toppling over, and again. Sorry, it's not like five people. It's like that. It's like no, no, thousands. I was gonna say thousands, but it's like hundreds of men. Yeah, there's ranks of like them. all walk up, and, and, and it's all again. like a, it's a it's a temple. He calls yeah. it the Temple of Moloch. Yes, he does. I've, I didn't look that up, but I'm sure it would be more uh, useful to people in the twenties to what the Temple of Moloch is. But 
It was just, you know, it was a temple thing. The with, temple of Murdoch. With, with, dudes, with Murdoch. Yeah, let's, let's politicize this. Yeah. But it's, yeah, you've got dudes in, in like, the, you know, they're, they're wearing what you might consider, you know, something like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom yeah, type, yeah. Temple Guard. It is. They've got like a sash and, and bald heads and holding a spear or something. And they're chucking slaves in. And yeah, then it's the same idea. once the slaves get thrown in, it's, yeah, it's just the marching, the workers up yeah. the columns and, and they're just marching off the edge yeah. the slaves have been thrown in yeah uh unwillingly but the march the working marches just march off yeah. the edge yeah. into their doom fall over yeah and they're swallowed whole by this this big you know donald trump kind of face um and he comes then he kind of comes back to it and he the workers are kind of being stretched off you know and so he's he's extremely stressed by this and so he runs to his father and he tells him all about this, you know, very clutching at the heart this, strings this, again. I love and this bit because the father was... is in this top of the high rise, and he's got like the stock markets coming down the wall behind him. Yeah, he's got some ticker, <laughs> some sort of ticker and but codes. And I, I love this because when Fred comes in, and yeah, his father's yeah points a few things. Yeah. People are writing stuff on paper, and he's given instruction. Fred comes in and he goes, he always goes, Dad, Dad, and you know, Joe, the senior, just sort of. Holds up a hand and yeah. silences his son as his son quietly closes the door. <laughs> and then, you know, Joe walks on and, and gives a few more bits of information and mm. then signals that he's ready for his son. And you, you can yeah. imagine at this point, the son's that little spoiled little brat. He is. He's suddenly he his eyes open to something. Yeah. He's going, Dad, Dad, it's terrible down there. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh the my workers are suffering. And Dad, what are you doing to them? <laughs> Dad, oh, my God. <laughs> if anyway, I don't know. And his dad's like... Don't you get a woman every day delivered to your door? Yeah, this is how we pay for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, Dad's kind of going, mm, yes, um, that's... I'm not sure what your problem is. Yeah. And but and that's basically Dad. He, he sort of looks at, at him and instead of really responding to Fred, he turns to poor old Yosef uh, and says, how come I'm hearing this explosion from my son and not from you? That's uh, right. <laughs> Which I think is really unfair because yeah. it had just happened and he ran straight there and said, like, mm. because I haven't gone to check the news feed, yeah. like, yeah, in yeah. the next five minutes. Yeah. But anyway, because oh, it has no excuse. As, I, you know, in the modern day movie, it could be like, who cares? And they all laugh. You yeah. know? <laughs> well, workers, Another death. <laughs> workers die. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's right. As long as the profits are there. That's right. Um, but you're exactly right. Good, that's good sort of, like, touching on it. Um and he, the father tries to calm him. There's a very, you know, did you also notice in this film that, and it's quite interesting compared to modern day, but like there's a couple of moments. This is a moment. There's a moment later in the film, like the father almost like embraces him. They almost look like, like they're going to kiss a few yeah, times. Yeah, it's like he, like, hold, like he holds him very, it's very romantic for a father to hold a son like this, but he kind of holds him from behind almost, you know, and, and he kind of like, He's like, yeah, you know, like, oh, I well, didn't realize. Well, when the son came running in, he clutched onto the back of him. Yeah. And like, and I think this is that old. It's the melodrama. Vaudeville like, yeah. melodrama thing. Yeah. Because it happens throughout this where, uh, you know, Fred comes into his apartment to talk to Joseph mm. and sort of grabs him. And they're up really close. Very close. Right in yeah. each other's faces. And they're, they're really emoting. Yeah. And it's so passionate. And you're yes. sort of like, are you guys going to get a room or something? Because... <laughs> We're this not is, used to this intimacy. This is looking a little bit, yeah, intense for a conversation. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> but I, I have I really but do it's think just it, the error of the it comes that. from playing off stage because yeah. the guy who played Fred actually was a vaudeville stage actor, mm. which is yep. all about this where you have to yeah that's it they're playing you, to a stage gotta, yeah. you've got to show the the intensity otherwise it's not going to be seen whereas yeah yeah you'll notice that in this film they don't really stare not necessarily down a barrel of the camera but there's no like a lot of it is like on a stage you know mm. what i mean like it's like you and i are looking at each right now the camera's over you know like a wide shot even if it's close whereas now you get actors like they they're just staring just off camera yeah. so we the audience are like oh wow they're like staring at us almost you know like almost and so it's very intimate that way. But in, back in this era, because they were so used to stage, it's it's that's why they were so up in their fa- each other's faces, yeah, <laughs> like they're about to make love or something. Like to us, we're like, oh my god, what are you, are you guys going to get a room here? What's going on? It's uh, uh, aren't you father and son? This is a little bit awkward right now. But that, yeah, it was just that sort of stage presence, I think. Yes. But anyway, the father. Uh, tells him that the people who built this city um, are where they belong. They and the son, city. Fred, says, but what if one day they rose up? And there's a bit of a pause on that. Is that that's an interesting beat. Mm. And then this is where Groot or Grot, Grot, the big foreman, comes in. Hey, what's going on? I'm the foreman of the heart machine, I am. I'm also Scottish but, but, for some I'm reason. Scottish in Germany, in German for some reason. Oh, there's no voice. I could put on a Scottish accent if I like. Um, but anyway, he comes in and and but he's very uh, timid and respectful of the father because you know the father's obviously master of Metropolis, master of Metropolis, uh, and he's he's here to tell him about the truth of what happened to the dead people. He also reveals that uh, the maps, they're in their dead pockets, so he's found more maps, and so he gives them to the father. Oh, dear. Poor old Joseph. Yeah. And he's, this is uh, another, like, the father... T- what about these maps? <laughs> What's this about? Why am I hearing it from Grunt? And again, I was thinking... <laughs> well, he's uh, just he, telling he, you. He had the maps taken from the... Bo- he didn't tell, like... Anyone. There's no reason for me to expect <laughs> that... I, like, I would have asked him... Did you find any more maps? If yeah. I thought that there was a possibility that that was even a thing. I know. But he's not given a chance. This yeah. is the great thing about Asylum. He's like, no, that's it. You're fired. Yeah, you're Joe, out. you're here, done. Buddy. And the thing is, then we get told from the son that, oh, do you know what it means to be fired by you, father? Yeah. Father's like, what? what? What does it bloody mean? It means I'm firing him. He's like, no, it means he goes down to the depths. He will no longer be up here with us and being mm. nice and intimate with each other. <laughs> That'd be rough. And so poor Joe is like stumbling Joe down the staircase. Joe should have saved his pennies, I must say, instead yeah, of frolicking in the pleasure gardens. That's right. And, but he's like stumbling down the staircase, not looking too good as he looks like he's a bit of a drunk and pulls out a gun. Oh, he's, everyone's got these tiny little pocket guns. <laughs> he, he pulls out a pocket gun and starts to, he's going <laughs> to off himself. Yeah, and that's where Fred intervenes. Fred says, no, no, wait. I'll uh, give you a job. Yeah, you, you'll Sweet. help me out. <laughs> Joe, hang out at this apartment. Yep. And I'll I'll come to you, and I guess Fred wants to go down and check out the machines a bit more. He does. But then we have the father brings in this creepy jaws like the skinny man, skinny man, the thin man, and uh, who's very robotic himself, and very you know poised in his facial oh, expressions. Gee, he, he looks just. I mean, they, they just picked someone that really did look like. Exactly the character he's playing. Yeah, like exactly. you know the an enforcer, in, yeah. investigative enforcer. If you like, he wasn't a thug. 
he was he would have been the person who would order the thugs to pick you up and then he'd be the one standing over you looking at you i said uh, more like the the agent smith yeah from the the matrix he'd stand there looking over you, about to explain all the bad things that are going to happen yeah so fred goes back to the factory he comes across this worker with this I mean, you can't. You, you kind of have to machine. laugh. You kind of have to laugh at the machine he's doing. It's like he's. It's like he's trying to stop a clock. Yeah, right? he's, like, he's on the on the clock arms, but the clock's and not it's all normal. Lights <laughs> that around, and two of them will light up, and he's yeah, got to point the clock arms at the lights. <laughs> the lights. But it's very forceful. Like it obviously weighs. Something. Yeah, they're, they're quite hard, and it's it's yeah. hot down there because they hot, keep mopping yeah. their brows. They keep mopping their brows. Lots of smoke, and and he he says to him, "Let's trade places." And that guy's crazy not to yeah. that. And he goes, um, okay. Okay, but, but no, he says, he says, he goes, but someone's got to do the clock, right? <laughs> like the machine doesn't stop. And he's like, I will do it. Yeah, he's like, oh, me. Like, there me. Was, someone will do the machine. Yeah, me. Yeah, me. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. so dramatic. So he's worker 11811. Georgie. <laughs> and uh, well, they swap. Hands him the bit of paper and says, here, just go up to my apartment. Yeah. Uh, so he runs off. They change clothes. He runs off, and it's great because we get then Fred being this maniac, you know, person with the clock clock thing. machine. Yeah. Uh, but then we also get told that the worker one one eight one one doesn't go, <laughs> doesn't uh, go to Joe's apartment. He goes to party. Well, he gets up there. He's initially in there, and he, he shows the the ticket, you know, with the yeah. apartment number, and he sits back, and um, you know, he reaches into his pockets. He goes, "Oh, what's in here?" And there's, and there's like this money. big stack of money. And yeah. he goes, holy mother of God. You, know, you can yeah. see him just going, what do I even do with this? Yeah. And then lo and behold, what do I even do with this? There's some dude chucking dispensing flyers about for Yoshiwara. Yeah, Yoshiwara. Which is like some sort of a nightclub place. Yeah. And he sees that and he looks at the money. He sees it. And then, huh, huh, huh. And he just party. goes, okay. And then to we get Yoshiwara. <laughs> yeah, he hands, hands the brochure over to the driver. And the driver takes him off. And then we get like a... It's like a montage, isn't it? But it's a, a collage yeah. of, you know, drinking and gambling and yeah. dancing and kissing and, you know. Yeah, why, but why wouldn't he? He's Holy... just been a worker. Like... I know. Could you imagine that as that worker? Because yeah. their day is shuffle in slowly. Ten Man's hours. Ten or... hours. And that's, that's pretty, uh, you know, generous, really. Yeah. They only have to work ten hours. Ten hours of this menial, ridiculous, hot job yeah. which doesn't seem to have a purpose or a point except no. that if you don't do it you die <laughs> which sounds like my job Jeez. yeah it does it sounds and, like a job and then you're given more money than you'd see possibly in a lifetime yeah. i don't know if certainly a year's we worth don't of even wages. know if they do even get paid right like they might just do the job or die yeah I, I, more money than he's, he's could ever think of having yeah yeah and goes like and he's dressed all fine. Yeah. He's got a driver, mm. and he's just been told where a party is. Yeah, you've got to be thinking, what is this thing? You're yeah, like, like go do it because he would never have had anything like that. <laughs> he <laughs> rocks in there, and it's just like concierges handing him drinks, and he's going, okay. He's probably had some like you know prison hooch equivalent. Yeah, and now he's getting the finer champagne, and there's like. Um, Beautiful people. Uh, yeah. I was going to say just beautiful women, but let's face it, they're all going to be beautiful because they're not stuck in menial jobs and they've all got good health care and yep. you know good nutrition. So they're all going to be looking great. Yeah. Oh my god, that would just be. You'd be mad. You you just you would you would party yourself until you went okay. I've just 
I'm now at that point of the machine that the, the, the pressure's getting to the little danger point. Yeah. It's time for me to go back to that car, yeah. flash that other card and see what this house is like. Yeah, yeah. If that's what the party's like, what's this house like? Yeah, so off he, off he trots and who can blame him? I, I don't blame him. Um, anyway, so then we're told also that in the middle of Metropolis, there is a strange house. Centuries have left it alone. <laughs> I think I think it says something along those lines. Something along those lines. And we have the inventor, Rokwa. Rokwang. Rokwang. Means Rokwang. red wang. Red. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fredison, the, um, the master of Metropolis, rocks up. And apparently these two have been, you know, close pals all the year. He helped him build Metropolis. And he says, what do these maps kind of mean? Oh, hey, I think we have a dis... Difference here in versions. Do we? We have a divergence here. A divergence. So, in the version I watched, so I watched the 2010 re-release. Yeah. Uh, restored footage from the Argentina, Buenos Aires, or whatever it was. Um, in this, so, we, we cut to this house, and there's uh, like a big curtain that Fredison's standing in front of. Mm. And he opens the curtain, and there's like this, this bust of a beautiful woman. And a plaque underneath it, yeah, which says "Hell," you know. Um, f- basically, it was his wife and yeah. and mother of of Fred. Fred, and then Rotwang comes in and says, "Yeah, they sort of um, say, well, you got your son, but I missed out on the wife.' You know, yeah. I should have known. You're a man; she was a girl. Yeah. Uh, is there anything?" more obvious you know like sort of well it, it's pretty similar sorry in the version i saw it's just the other way around like so we have the house and then we have fredison rock up who's saying oh, i have these maps and then in that conversation rotland says well, you got the wife and i built the city for you and then she died with mm. your son before i got to have the wife i don't know they've got a complex racial relationship don't they yeah it's I- like there's the two men that obviously One's super smart, one's super powerful. They came up with Metropolis and there was a woman involved, Hell, who happened to die giving birth to Fred, yeah. but they both loved her. But it also sounded like there was maybe a bit of a deal that at some point she would swap over. I don't know. Well, I, like, I don't so know. the impression I got was that um, Rotwang was originally courting Hell. Hell, yeah. Um, but then she met, uh, you know, Joe <laughs> and went... Oh yeah, Joe's kind of nice. In fact, Rotwang looks a bit creepy. He does. He's a bit uh, and crazy. Joe looks quite distinguished. Yes. So I don't blame her really. Yep, like she probably chose the better option. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and he lost his hand. And he says it was a fair trade, wasn't it? Um, to have a and and the, yeah. So they introduced him to the robot. And he's well, robot. but my impression of that was he lost the hand to get the robot. Yes, yeah, so creating yeah. the robot was was a hand worth. That was job. after hell, right? Yes, after hell. Yeah. Yeah, so he's he's going to resurrect her with this robot, and so he had the two hands for hell. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and it's interesting that hand is that gloved hand. Yeah. Not unlike Luke Skywalker's gloved no, robot no, hand. No, no, no. He, yeah. So anyway, they, and he can control the robot, the machine man. Machine man in the West. Machine man. Yes, and so <laughs> rocks out, and there's this robot. It's Definitely such a not cool, a man. Such a cool costume. Stands up. That's Bridget Helm in there. Yeah. Apparently, she did not like it in there. That was a very uncomfortable costume. And she got yeah. bruises and cuts. Yeah. Uh, and she sort of she wanders up and sort of has a bit she of a She does a good job. She looks like a robot. She looks walks like a robot. Like a robot. Yeah, walks, does, does the robot. It's a cool and, costume. 
And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And then, yeah, Rotwang says, well, in give me 24 hours and she will be indistinguishable from a person. Which is, yeah, hello, not Razor Blade. Blade Runner. <laughs> Razor Blade, Blade Runner, same difference. Same idea. Yeah, so, so anyway, so Fred has... Fred receives a map while he's doing his clock thing. Because he's doing his clock thing and then this... Oh, he finds it in his pocket, yeah. No, no, the co-worker comes up and gives it to him. Not in one eye. Oh, he he yeah. pulled a, a, a hanky out to mop his brow right. and that pulled the map out. Ooh, and then okay. he picked the map up and he started looking at it while he's trying to do his thing. Mm. And a co-worker spots him with it. All right. And then the co-worker comes over and... Oh, no, that is the same version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And, and indicates, yes, we're, we're going to be meeting at two o'clock after your shift to li- hear her talk again. Yes, she's summoning us. And I love that there's a moment there because he, he's like towards the end of the shift and he's like, he says something like, Father will tell us never end. I'm like, yeah, in that job, it never would really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like I know that feeling. Like, there's, there's some days there where I'm just sitting, staring at my computer going, it's been quarter past four for at least an hour. I yeah. swear to God. We all have that feeling in our jobs, but I, I really do feel for him. <laughs> Because oh. <laughs> he just do it because there's that there's isn't there a moment there I'm pretty sure it's here where's the moment where it's almost like you see the other side of what he's doing and it looks like the clock from the father's office yeah so it's almost like is he just like doing a job that doesn't even matter like <laughs> that, that's kind of I think what it feels like a bit that, I, I think a lot of these guys are doing jobs that don't particularly that don't matter. even I mean, matter like you just said doesn't haven't they invented that technology and they don't even need the human like. Yeah, just have a machine to turn it to. Turn. Like you can indicate the lights turning on. Yeah. So you've got to have the arms go to those lights. Why not just have all of those lights hooked up, and then just the ones that turn on just get connected like a circuit. Yeah. Like what? What really is? Uh, and I think that's one of the points. It's kind yeah. of a. You look at any of these factory jobs, and if you have a factory job where you're on the factory line, mm. I'm I'm going to suggest here that you really keep your mind open to the idea of um, being a more useful than just packaging something because inevitably, and this goes for me as well, yeah, I've got yeah. to be more useful than just producing code because sooner or later, someone will produce something that does your job for does you. It, yeah. Like, you know, the, the guy twisting that, those handles, sooner or later, and you and you see it, you, you see the, um, the person that... Has, puts the sheet metal in to be stamped into the car door yeah. and moves it on. And then the, the Tesla factory has just got like this robot arm that picks up the sheet metal and puts yeah. it in and stamps it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not going to happen today maybe or tomorrow, but sooner or later, yep. anything that can be repeatedly done yeah. is going to be auto- automated out. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, so there's Surrey's uh, public education. Yeah, that's a, that's a public, education. public help and, you know... Uh, that's that goes for um, for a lot of jobs. Pretty much everyone, yes. really. If if you can, any part that can be just repeatedly done without particular training, mm. uh, it will be taken over. So make sure you focus on the other parts of your job which can't just be taken over. So Fred goes down to these catacombs, and at the same time, um, uh, his father and Rotwang also kind of follow the maps down. Um, and there's a kind of this, it's an interesting bit, this bit, because it's very not like the, the factories. It's kind of more caves, catacombs, 
a bit religious. Yeah, this styled. was this was um, the uh, what did Rotwang say? It was like these are the catacombs from before the before city, the, the metropolis yeah. got built on top of. Yeah, yeah. So these are yeah, there's a, a totally different style. So Fred kind of follows the other cohort, and they do walk down to this. Uh, and it's kind of like they're coming down into a old church that's underneath the ground that's been broken down. And again, I had to think, you know, is this a German that has been? Is this a Germany that's been bombed? You mm. know what I mean? Like it's been bombed, and then the city is built on top of it. You know, like an old church that's been bombed the living daylights out, and then built on top of, which we know is what happens. Um, and so then at the same time, uh, the father and Rotwang eavesdrop. They kind of come, come across there at a different level up higher. Because, again, it's like there's a building there that's been exploded. The bricks are yeah, all, like, broken and stuff. It's like a bricked-over section has yeah, then had a has few bricks had a, missing. Yeah, so they kind of, like, lean in. And weren't the use of shadows in this really... Yeah. Like, the lighting... Uh, it's, it's really good. I noticed that a lot of, all of these scenes... Are pretty static camera shots. Yeah, they are, and they've set them up specifically with very because it's all black and white. Of course, then yeah. you can't have textures and tones of color and things. No, it's all in the shadows. So it's all in light and shadow, and the just the, the all the actors hit their mark. You know, Rotwang moves up to that the gap and stands in. You get a streak of light across his face. His eyes yeah. are just a little bit in shadow, and it's just mm. that's brilliant. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, anyway, this woman steps forward. Fred's kind of a bit, yeah, he's a bit unsurprising of everything, I suppose. He's a bit down from his 10-hour shift. He's regretting swapping, I reckon. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, think he's going, oh, geez, I think he's probably a little bit softer than he yeah. maybe thought he was. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and um, this woman starts talking from the, you know, from the, um, oh, what do you call them in the church? Pulpit. The, the pulpit, yeah, sort of idea. And uh, starts preaching and automatically he kind of comes to a bit and he, he takes her and he realises. And there's these great shots here, camera shot-wise, from Fred to Maria and back to Fred and then the, and also the group shot and the men peering in. Like, it's very, you know, Maria is centralised. She's a spotlighted. She's, you know, it doesn't, even though we're not, again, we're not hearing exactly what she's saying, you can tell that then... She's drawing all the men in. She's and it, mm. and I think it was really interesting that it's a woman. You know, like you know, as you said, like at the start, the women are presented to Fred. Yeah, and the you can see their breasts, and it's very you know, like you can say, oh, well, it's the nineteen twenties, you know, men and women, and but you, you go to the nineteen eighties, it's still like this. But but then here, the key person is a woman, and she's actually the one in the power position, which is quite interesting. So, it's, it's also also interesting at this point here. The uh, factory workers are not looking on with interest in her as a woman. They're no, they're not interested totally in the what message she has to bring. Yeah, yeah, and and she's standing upright and she's not moving a lot and she's got her arms out and she's very um very giving. And there's a big contrast from later on when the robot takes over. Yeah, and and she's also dressed extremely modestly that's the thing and, and it's not like she's a voluptuous woman it's not like she's doled up it's not about her looks it's all about what she's talking about she's got a message that they're keen to hear yeah she does their ears are, well no they're questioning at this point right they've they're, got they're, ear hard-ons for her <laughs> message 
But this is the thing that they are also questioning, and, and she answers them about the fact because because there's there's a couple of guys that are like, "Isn't it time? I'm sick of my ten hours in the factory. Damn it! Can't we just like rip some eyeballs out?" And she's like, "No, wait for the mediation. We need we need a bit of a middle ground. We need the mediator is coming." And they're like, "No, when is it coming?" And she's like, "It's coming. Let me tell you a story of Babel. Tell you about Babel." And, and we we get this like actual, you know. Uh, a physical storytelling, yeah, of a little movie within a movie, <laughs> where the, the edges of the film actually all go a bit um, faded and and filtery, and uh, we basically get told this story of these men that conjured up this great building in Babel, and then they called upon this again marching horde of workers, yeah, like like never ending with these great huge blocks of sand. They wanted yeah. to build this tower yeah. up so it touched the sky and yeah. have a Plaque on the top that said, uh, "Great is the tower, and great <laughs> is man." Yeah, or something. Which it's I mean, it's a biblical story from Genesis where they build this tower of Babel, and it's one of these stories from the Old Testament. And so you know, God's a bit of a prick in the Old Testament. Yes, he is. He is. Uh, you know, I'm sorry for the, um, the the for the Jewish people and the the Christians out there, but you'd agree with me, I'm sure. Yeah. You don't go about the place just smiting people and flooding lands because it's, it's shortly after the flood. It's like he's flooded the land. Yep. And these guys, let's repopulate a bit. And they go, let's build this tower so high it touches heaven. Yeah. And then we'll go up there. Yeah. And God's like, yeah, you guys think you're a little bit too much of yourself. Uh, how about what I do instead is make you all speak different languages because mm. at that time they all spoke the same language. Yeah. Presumably because they're all just from Noah and his kids. Oh, hmm, that doesn't work very well, but it makes them all speak different languages. The science doesn't make sense, but the religion does. And so. they can't talk to each other and communicate, yeah. and the tower collapses. Yeah. And the people are you know, it's such a tall uh, tower. Uh, it's such a tall tower that when it falls, it sort of scatters across all the land, and so yeah. that's why there's all different languages. Yeah. But in this story, it's simplified to the point of just the workers and the ideas guys couldn't communicate mm. we have that great shot where it's like the guy's at the top of the steps yes and he's going da, da, da. You know, he's like explaining and then we but in the foreground we have these like workers standing listening and then one of them like lifts up his arm and shakes it and then another one lifts up his fist and then they all just like run up the stairs to him oh they and they just him. like rip him apart right like that's what that's this is lang's version they just kind of like run up and I, you notice that did you notice this sorry that even earlier in the film, and then in this moment where they're marching, there's a lot of triangular oh, yeah, they marching, right? And then even in this moment where it's they run up the stairs to get this guy, it's like a triangular running of the men, mm. where like one is getting there first, but then it's like compounded each time there's more men. And it happens later in the film as well when they kind of, in the climax, yeah, they like come as a triangle. Grot's coming up the yeah, stairs. Yeah, like it's a funny thing, isn't it? I don't exactly know what that all means, but it's extremely symbolic of like the power of a horde or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. But anyway, so coming back coming back into the present, uh, Maria is saying, well, this is the metaphor that we have to wait for the meditator, uh, mediator, sorry, not meditator. Uh, and uh, We get the great movements of Fred there where he's, he brings his yeah, fist to clutching. his chest. And he's loving what Maria's talking I don't know, this her. weird sort of like fist together on the chest. Yeah. He's like, oh, yes, I'm the mediator. I'm sure I am. <laughs> yes, I'm the one. And I'm not. 
Yeah, he, he's getting fully into it. He's, he's going. He's got the it. heart hard on for it. He's got, he's got a he's got a heart. He's got a sympathy heart on. He's going. Yeah. <laughs> she's uh, his, she's explaining his empathy flaps are soaking wet. <laughs> they are. They're they're ready. They're moist. His, <laughs> and, <laughs> oh God. Okay. Ah, I'm, Maria, I'm, I'm Maria, a child at heart. I'm a child at I heart. I know. Maria has explained it, and the men accept it. They walk away. They all exit, and uh, Fred and her are left. And he he says that to her, doesn't he? He goes, "I'm the one. I'm I'm wet. I'm ready. I'm ready for you, Maria. I'm the one. I'm the savior. I'm the in between person." And they kind of have a moment, don't they? And uh, they kiss, and then he goes, "Yes, I'll meet you at the church." and We'll come back together later on this plan. Yes, meet you, meet you at the cathedral. Let's go. And then this is where we get, and I've got to say this: no one out there has seen another Fritz Lang movie. This is where you get Lang being the creepy shit that he is. You get this scene with Rot Wang hunting Maria. Oh yes, this is awesome. This is the and this is Lang, right? This yes. is what he's good at. And you said so it's the use of shadows. Spotlighting, oh, that very light, creepy yeah. symbolicness. Like that, Rotwang kind of comes. You know, she's like, "Oh, what's going on?" What's go-? and again, it's like Fred clutching his heart. She kind of like, she's like, "Oh, oh, this creepy she, shit." She going drapes on. herself about the place. <laughs> yeah, she like drapes herself and she hangs back at the rocks. But then it gets kind of a bit more, you know, modern day horror in that she's like up against a wall and. Uh, you know, like he blows it, he gets rid of a candle and so it's pitch wow. black. I love the way that the torchlight is like looking like, around for her yeah. and then it lands on her feet and slowly, slowly creeps up yeah. and then she realizes, yeah, like, I've been I'm caught trapped, and we yeah. we get a shot back then of, of Rotwang holding yeah. the torch and his eyes just above it and yes. he's looking creepy as and hell. And did you notice like when there's that shot, there's the two skulls beside him? No, I didn't. Because she's there in the crypt, yeah. and there's kind of there is we've seen earlier yeah, there's skeletons, skeletons and stuff, and stuff around, yeah. like right beside him, but behind him. So it's extremely, you know, like a bit soft focus. Um, and it's, and then and then also she runs, and she's it, there's Lang is revealing a bit of perspective here. Some of that special effects in a way that she kind of runs upstairs, and the torch follows her. So mm. it's kind of again, it's like almost like makes the shot look so much wider than what it is. Uh, it's great stuff, all of that. And um, he's kind of luring her into a trap, back into his little house that no one has questioned in Metropolis. Yeah. And then she's like, like stuck. She's stuck in house. the house. This creepy With house. a trap door. And he's like, ha ha. <laughs> I've got you. Um, uh, Fred, Fred is then at this church. And this is the church I mentioned before with the statues. And there's the seven deadly sins. Seven deadly sins, yes. There's a real moment of him kind of like taking in the seven deadly sins. And I mean, those statues are creepy. Yeah. And you can tell they're not statues. They're people, but it's, it's also creepy. Kind of, and in the middle, there's a reaper. Yeah, the Grim Reaper, Death himself. Yeah, is in the middle with a big, big sign. And he's, he listens to the monk preaching about the Whore of Babylon. No, riding the yep. beast with a, the, yeah, yeah. the multi-headed beast with a seven... The heads and seven crowns, and she gets what she deserves, and uh, yeah, which is all hearts and minds. Uh, and that's that's sort of happening as I think this this is all happening as Maria is transferred onto the robot, yeah, yeah, and, and that's and that's that wonderful special effects moment there, which 
Uh, and, and that even that scene where she's lying in that sort of transparent cover, you think of um, passengers. Yeah. With your passengers, like the uh, medical bay thing that they lay on was just like that. And you go look at Star Trek, particularly Next Generation mm. and the more recent one, Voyager and so forth, they have that exact same... You know, bed with a, like a transparent cover thing with with and bits the fifth on it. element, right? The fifth, fifth element, element rebuilds well. the you know the the clone, the clone yeah. things, yeah. And and I mean, obviously, the Frankenstein, which came out yeah. just a few years after this, yeah. used the exact same setup with the lightning bolts and yeah. all the rest of it. Uh, it's so yeah. It's a, it's a great um, real scientist scene. That scene, isn't it? Because it's like. Yeah, you've just explained the the tomb sort of glass thing she's in, but it's also like as the Rotwang, you know, like he pulls levers and switches, oh, and his beakers bubbling, and there's smoke, and he's working the timing, he's working he's, everything, you know, like it's one thing after another. It's, it's not, not a pro, it's ju- not a programmed no, thing. No, he's, no. he's got a it's the old fashioned scientist. It's right? the same like, even in the Matrix when you've got uh, Mouse uh, or Tank, sorry, sitting there. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's working the matrix in there. He's clicking on things. Or Doc and, in Back to the Future, watching right? stuff, and you know, like this. In reality, it would just be you sit there watching, going, "Oh yeah, my program seems to be working correctly." Yep. Yeah, um, there's nothing I can do. No. <laughs> like, yeah. Enter. It's like yeah. Restart. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It, it reminded me of Doc from Back to the Future. It was a kind yes. of a similar, you know, crazy scientist actually being a scientist. Sciencing. Sciencing, yeah. He's doing science. Mad science. I'm going to science the crap out of this. this he, and he does. And Maria um, transforms the the robot, the machine, turns into her face, and Maria kind of like passes out in her little bed. Fred, meanwhile, has kind of come across, you know, he was disappointed, he was depressed, but he came across the screams from the house. And, and so he runs in, he ends up in this, trap himself with all these doors mm. and none of them have got handles uh, and he's just totally locked in them right like he's trying to open each one furiously but he can't so he knows she's in there and he and he gives up he surrenders um now maria she starts by becoming what every woman in power would think is the starting point an erotic dancer yeah it, to well- corrupt men well, there's a little note given to Joe to say, "Hey, you're gonna see Maria. Uh, she'll be, you know, dancing. You'll see my my robot. Basically, will be dancing at the Yoshiwara or whatever." Yeah. So just before that, um, Fred kind of happens. He gets released from that door prison thing. He can't find her. He tells his Rotwang, "Where is she?" She says, "He says, sorry. Oh, I think she went to your father." So then he goes to the father, and he just comes across and. <laughs> It's funny, online they're like, oh, they were embracing. But in 1927, that meant they were just being intimate, as in they were standing next to each other. And he comes in and has a full like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Sorry? What are you two up to? Yes. And and he goes into like an actual medical fit. He does. He gets flashing lights and he he collapses. And he's in hospital. Like he's hospitalized. He's hospitalized, yeah. That's how much he was in love. It broke his heart that she was just standing next to the father. Shocked and surprised. Yeah. Um, Anyway, and as you said, he wakes up to this note that she's off with an erotic... (laughs) uh, Off with an erotic dancer, uh, as an erotic dancer. And we get this... This is a scene that 
Kubrick has kind of copied later in Eyes Wide Shut, I feel. No, I thought you'd like, say Apocalypse Now with well, Marlon Brando in the cave. Well, no. it kind of is a bit, isn't it? But like we we have this like Maria's then like coming out and she's like a, she's a there's all these men holding up her a cup that she kind of comes out of. But I loved these men. Didn't you love these rich men? How they were like oh, the looks like grabbing and they they're all like standing on like leaning on each other and their eyeballs were bulging and they're grabbing like, their, their, their and, faces and, and they're like licking and you know like they were really like bopping to the music in a very creepy way. And her dance was was pretty out there. Yeah, it was because again she's doing these weird dances. She's got her breasts exposed and it was like these men had never seen a woman like her. And that's the point, isn't it? Because she's robotic and, and female. And so she's doing things that I guess no other dancer has ever done. And they were just like entranced. And we even get to a point where then it's a shot of just all their eyeballs. Yes, it's just oh, it's like, like it's a, eyeballs a weird, on eyeballs. Um, kaleidoscope a kaleidoscope, of yeah, eyeballs, yeah. yeah, which is pretty cool. Um, and this is all intercut with uh, Fred hallucinating... Uh, he hallucinates oh, and, that I, um, that these men are kind of going crazy, but at the same time, like what Maria is dancing like, death and, and the seven seven sins the, are the getting se- out. Yeah, the seven sins come out, and the whole point, and we get this line of like, death descends upon the city. Yeah, but it's it's great though because Fre- uh, Joe Fredison, Fredison, he's he said, you know, release Maria, you know, release yeah. the Kraken, as it were. And that's why she's off to stir up trouble. And there's like guys having duels and punch ups, and you know, it's it's not just people being excited by her dance. They're actually to the point where yeah, they're having fighting. brawls, and uh, it's going a little, just a little bit crazy. It's total crazy, cray cray. And then Freda does wake up though. Oh, good old Fred, he wakes up, and he he gets up and returns to the catacombs. Returns to the catacombs. I thought yeah. he, he went and saw Joseph and oh, like he the, does. The, Sorry, skinny, yeah, yeah. the skinny man and yeah, he does. And this is where they realise that it's the same woman. They sort of talk about that it's Maria, um, and that he Fred says the only way to stop her is the mediator. Yes, yeah, and so then he goes to the catacombs, and then this time we've got the false Maria urging the workers to rise up and destroy the machines. Destroy the machines. And the difference in her posture and yeah, stance and her movements are yeah. yeah. uh, really quite remarkable. And again, did you notice, like, the men here now are like, you know, again, the, the rich men, it's all about the partying and the excess and the debauchery, whereas these men, it's all about, you know, rising. Earlier we were showing that they wanted to rise up and Maria was like, no, no, wait, wait, and they went for it. And then now it's like Maria's going, it's time to destroy them. And they're like, they kind of like get closer and closer to each other. And they're like putting arms on each other's shoulders and they're leaning, like they're pulling closer and closer Mm. to her. Like, like, I don't know, it's such a, as a director, it's such a like minor thing, but it's so, I was like, I was watching it go, wow, like it's really, she's drawing them in and he's really pulled that off in that scene. Luckily, of course... He didn't have to write any script that made her speech incredible and moving. No, no. Because I often find this is a, a trouble with films where someone, okay, well, now this exposition. is the time you've got to do your big, uh, rousing 
you know, they can take our lives, but I cannot take our freedom. <laughs> our freedom. <laughs> yeah, you've got to come up with some sort of big rousing speech that is like Martin Luther King style yeah. call to arms, you know, whatever. It's, um, yeah, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> try, yeah, that's, I, I've always thought that would be one of the hardest things. You ask the scriptwriter, okay, now write a speech that will move a thousand men to slaughter everyone. Yeah. Oh, geez, uh, no pressure. Can we just do that off camera? That's right. No, and that's but that's what he gets away uh, with. It. But here, of course, the, it's a silent. So she's got, doing all the movements, mm. and it, like I said, you're seeing the re- reaction, the response, and it's you're going, yes, she must be saying something really rousing. Yeah. Uh, but didn't have to write it. Anyway, Fred accuses her of not being the real Maria, and then ends up having this big fist to fight with all the workers. They're like, no, she is the real Maria. What are you talking about? She's saying exactly what we want to hear, so yeah, she must be real. So like, but he really throws some punches here. And in fact, the old worker, 11811 or whatever, uh, as the workers fight Fred, one kind of pulls out a big knife, but he dives and gets stabbed oh, and they nice. kind of collapse. And then Maria's like, death to the machines. And they all like stomp out to kill all the machines. Um, so Fred and Joe kind of come to and they've got the wounded worker and they're like recollecting themselves. But he all knows, the workers are now like furious. They're all running and they're running to the machine. He was the only worker with blonde hair. Yeah, yeah, he was. So the other ones all had dark, which made it easy to identify, identify. him, which <laughs> is good because all the other workers all look the same. Uh, but they, they patched him up and said, oh, so you were faithful after all, you know, because mm. obviously he'd gone off and yeah. had a bit of a party there. Yeah. But anyway, they all run in and this is where we get the hordes of craziness. There's a good five minutes here of like, oh, these so you know, again, hundreds and hundreds of workers like and running and in and they, they, they like go back to those elevators and flood the elevators. And it is, it's a flood of workers and they, they kind of like, they're all fighting and you know, they're all scrambling, but they, they break through that fence and they climb in and it is a real chaotic, you know, there's a good five or ten minutes of film there where it's just total chaos. And Grot has a little convo and says, yeah, hey. they come in and they, but then, then they, now they just rip, they're coming in there they and punch and, up Grot, right? Like they just well, beat him well, up. Fred, Fredersen just says, "Let them in." Yeah, and he goes, oh, but the, if they break the machines, it'll yeah. flood everything." Yeah. Obviously, we don't want that. Just let them in. He go, okay, and he opens it up, and he looks really worried. And they'll come running. He, he tries to hold them off and say, yeah. "What are you doing? It's going to be flood everything." And they, oh, we don't care, bro. Yeah. And they go, they destroy this machine. Yeah. They don't care until someone finally, and a bit after this, reminds them, "Hey." Where are all the kids? Yeah. And so then we cut ah. to the kids and we have this great scene where the kids are in these apartment buildings and just the water like purges up out of the ground, right? Oh, it's like, all bubbling up. It's flowing It's bubbling everywhere. up. It starts flooding very rapidly. It's, you know, flushing out of buildings because the whole thing is there where the workers live. It's underground. So the water's coming in from the rooftops and um, it, it rises pretty quickly, but the real Maria, uh, who has who has managed to, we're sort of skimming over it a little bit, but she escapes Rotwang. Um, she comes back and saves the children. And Fred. But and all Joe the elevators are smashed. Yeah, all the elevators are blowing up from all the chaos. The machines aren't working. Uh, so Fred and Fred rocks up, and they have a moment. They do have a moment. They're like, "Oh, Fred! Oh, Maria! Oh, Fred!" Yeah, there's oh, like Maria, hundreds yeah, of kids yeah. all just and there's like hundreds of kids, and the water's getting deeper and deeper. And so they, Joe says, "Okay, well, there's a way out. You know, like we can go up these set of stairs." And they all run to these stairs, and they, some of them hold the littler kids, and 
Yeah, again, we have this like flooding of humans yeah, with the flooding of water. Packed, absolutely it was, packed. Yeah, you could not fit another person you in. You couldn't. There. And they all ran up these stairs. And I think one of the steps collapsed and Fred and that jumped up. And then they had to like break through a fence. Yeah, there's a gate just yeah, shut off the edge. The yeah, top so that Joe and Fred kind of managed to kind of go around the building and they break it. At the same time, we're getting like these wide shots of buildings collapsing in the flooding. Um, and uh, Grot. <laughs> Back with the workers, like, your children, you left your children to die. And they all, like, they have that real, like, melodramatic clutching of the heart. Yeah, well, babies, they're all literally baby. dancing yeah, around, like... Just, like... Like, and he stops them, right? Like, he stops <laughs> them from dancing, and, uh, yeah, and he does, and... Um... <laughs> and then, of course, they go, ah, oh, oh, it's all Maria's fault. Yeah, there's a good line there. It's just like, what idiot told you to do this? And that's what Grot says, and they're like, it was that witch, Maria. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love this blaming, this... Yeah, yeah, this... yeah. Um, offloading of responsibility. It's like, oh, it, it was all her fault that we abandoned our children and yeah, destroyed yeah. the thing that was keeping it. I kind of feel know. we're a bit responsible. We made the choice at some point to do this. No, sorry, it's Maria's fault. And I burn her at the yeah, stage. She was a witch. <laughs> of course, she ensorcelled me. Yeah. She married me, turned me into a newt. <laughs> I got better. You know? Yeah, so, th- so they go charging off and upstairs... Uh, Maria robot is pouting around and the lights go out and there's like ooh she's oh let more us, party <laughs> let's go up and watch the world go to the devil yes and they go up and they just they're just having a debaucherous like just, yeah. carnival type yeah. of thing out in the street with lanterns there's tits and, out there's dicks out and there's she's you know, being held up on shoulders and there's a funny uh, little what do you call it uh, uh, juxtaposition or, yeah. or transposition. Down in the catacombs, she was lifted up and she went out, arms outstretched like a on a cross. Yes. And then when she's up here, she's on their shoulders and she's got her arms about and she's being spun around and woohoo and being silly buggers. Mm. And so that's yeah, one lot. Then there's the uh, workers go hoarding through and up out onto the streets they and they're do. chasing Maria, the real Maria, uh, through the streets. Oh my gosh, no! Uh, and she goes running off and I like the way he did this because I was going, oh, this is not going to turn out very no. well. But she then ran through, through the, the partying people yeah. and hit up on the church, the cathedral stairs. Yeah. And then all the workers, of course, crash into the party yeah. and they pick up the, the, the robot Maria, which is the actual one that they were supposed they to be get, getting, yeah. Yeah, which I thought, gee, that was whew, yeah. lucky there. Um, and and they go, we're going to burn her, and they, yeah, they, they, just... they just pile up a big stack of stuff and tie her up and start burning her. Like, holy moly! There's no, there's no judicial system here. Is that's there? that's just what's going to happen. You, She's a witch. Burn her at the stake. You killed all my children, all our children. Like, we're not going to take responsibility for no. any of that. Like, we we could have at any point said, yeah, let's bring the kids up with us, but we yeah. didn't. No. Uh, the real Maria then gets chased up into the cathedral mm, um, by Rotwang, and then the crow chases up after... No, well, that also happens in the movie, The Crow. Yeah, it does. But they, they go up, and they, they you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame or The Crow and He's or, trying to get her. Or Batman. But Fred is watching Maria burn, and he's like, no, it's Maria! And slowly, and all the crowd is cheering. Yeah. I love this, like... Ah, and they're holding him back, and they're laughing and then, at him. And, then the, and Fred's, like, clutching the heartstrings, going, you're burning Maria. She just saved your children, you know? They, they're like, no, you know? And then and then she does turn into the robot. And I like... I love that, because the second she's a robot, that crowd is like, oh, shit, she is a witch. 
Yeah, what? <laughs> they back away really quickly. Don't oh, they? she's like, assumed a true form. That's there was a there weird. was a gap. Like they were all kind of like dance. I remember there's a woman like dancing like right next to the fire when they thought it was just a human. Apparently, as a witch. Yeah. When it turns into a robot, where it's like my, maybe she is a witch. It's like ah, they, yeah, well, holy. <laughs> like that whole crowd. Like you would not get that at a modern day rock concert. Being able to organize that many people, and they did. Like even Groot or Grot or whatever is like, oh, sure, okay, maybe she was powerful. Uh, and then Fred's like, oh, okay. And then he looks up and he can see that Rotwang's at the well, top of the church. It's also pretty cool when he says, but you save your children, your children yeah. are alive. And they'll go, oh, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> We're burning the wrong person. Yeah, what have we done? Uh, yeah, but then they're like, like, oh, no, Maria's up there. There's actually a robot. There. There's a real, real yeah. Maria up there. Yeah. So it's a reveal. Anyway, so he runs up the stairs and... There's a real panic to it. Um, I'm not sure if Rotwang was going to like chuck her off the church or whatever, but it's a bit um, King Kongish, isn't it? It is it's a sort bit of like guys up the stairs holding yeah. it, and then he's up on that the widow's walk thing at the yeah. top there, and yeah. just kind of drops her onto it, and she yeah. sort of fumbles and hangs on. And Fred and comes up, and there's epic a one... fist fight between yeah. these two here. There's... And they slide down the tiles. No. Hong Kong style choreography no. involved in this. This was just <laughs> no, wild just... flailing. This was great. <laughs> yeah, and they fight to the edge of this broken church, and Rotwang then, you know, he collapses and falls, falls off, off to his death, you know. I say, um, it's just, just the same scene for scene of the crow. It is, basically. And uh, the father, Fred's father, has also turned up, and he kind of watches, and he sort of, I think it's implied, maybe he thinks his son falls to his death, yeah, so he's he kind of collapses. and upset and then uh and even the crowd want to it's, it's a good moment the crowd kind of start descending on the father and then Groot uh, no not Groot um the thin man you know so he's just like bang bang punches out a few of the crowd members as they get close to the father and then and then it's like oh you know the the um father runs into the church after Fred you know and yeah. uh and then, like, emerges, and that's where you get the crowd led by Grot. They come as a triangle again. This triangles, these yeah. Grot goes up, and you know, like, isn't he f- cute? The way Grot puts his hands yeah, down his like, hands and kind of oh, oh well, no, gee, it's, shucks. But it's nice, isn't it? Because he go, he puts his hand out first, yes. and, and the father doesn't doesn't re- doesn't receive the handshake. Well, the guy's name is Grot. Yeah, but come on, yeah, Grot's going. Come on, let's let's make it happen. There's a real good example of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Yeah, right? yeah, like, really simple. Here's the worker. Hey, shake my hands. And the boss is like, I'm not going to touch your hands. You know, it's like really... And then uh, Fred goes, no, come on, let's calm together. And so yeah, he joins them. This is where we get slapped in the face with the theme here of the <laughs> heart. and the, the, the head and the hands must be the heart yeah. mediator, whatever it is. Yes. And he literally goes and makes them... Drags them together. Connects their hands together, yeah. which is... Uh, it's, it's a nice little ending there. And it, it sort of finishes at that. It um, does, the end. And the mediator between the head and the hands must be the heart. What I like, uh, one part I do like in this ending, the whole ending uprising sequence, they kept having that opening refrain of the French anthem. Yeah. Dun, 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 yeah. Which, because it's Revolution. Yeah. Which was uh, a few hundred years before that. Because it's funny they didn't have any Soviet music, mm. which was more recent revolution and yeah. was actually a workers' revolt as well. But Interesting. That, that, but he was... Clearly referencing the French Revolution, mm. which was also the, um, which is probably more similar to what he was depicting. But I, I can't help but think, was he trying to divert from the connotation of communism? Mm. Instead of going, 
Because, yeah, the communist revolution very much in the forefront of everyone's mind at the yeah, time, yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But, yeah, not very popular in the rest of Europe, the old thing. In fact, no. one of the reasons we have universal education, public education, is because of the Russian revolution. The, yeah, right. Or, or to avoid a similar fate because mm. invariably in the UK you've got this question of, oh, well, the uh, you know, the workers are all getting grotty and they're getting these communism ideas. Yeah. And the, the, the lords go, but if they had power, they don't know how to rule. Oh, this place would just turn into a, a shambles. Yeah. Which is true. Yep. And luckily, though, they had the idea of, well, how about we let them vote for stuff, but we give them all an education so they don't vote for really stupid stuff. Yeah. Only moderately stupid stuff. Yeah. Because the big problem in, in uh, Russia, you got Lenin and Marx doing their communism is great spiel, which of course doesn't stand up to basic scrutiny. But the people that they're talking to were literally largely illiterate. Yeah. So they didn't have a chance to like read different opinions. They couldn't go and, well, let me just study the teachings of you know this philosopher. What does Socrates have to say on this matter? Mm. Yeah, no, these guys get like living in the harsh Siberian countryside pushing plows because their horse died last year, you know. Yeah. And they're suddenly told, we're going to rise up and, and take the means of production and we're going to rule and everyone will get their fair share of bread. Mm. What was the, the catchphrase? was bread and water and sleep or something, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. It was, it was really simple stuff. It was. So, yeah, but the French Revolution was more so... Uh, it was not so much that the workers were being exploited in that sense, but more the case that the 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 peasants who were quite capable of looking at they, they, they looked after themselves pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were just being um utterly abused. Like the the level of wealth difference which yeah. didn't quite occur in Russia. But in French Revolution times, yeah, Marie Antoinette and so forth, they like I I did a tour through France um yeah. a few years back and you see these palaces. Yeah, yeah. And even by by today's standards, they are they are exorbitant, yeah, outrageous. Like yeah. the wildest dream of the most exorbitant, mm. you know, rapper from the United States would not have a crib that looked anything like, <laughs> you know, this. And then compare that to the peasants were literally uh, in dirt and wood hovels. Yeah, yeah. The the disparity of of wealth was just yeah. Far beyond. Well, I, but I, look, I can't exactly speak because, again, it's not revenge, uh, um, research, but I feel that there might be a bit of a take of all of those different society aspects. And I even think that there is, you know, again, without experiencing it, but the understanding of Germany being bombed, you know, going to war with the rest of the world and, and losing and what that meant for Germany. Mm. And here we are. Ten, you can imagine artists and filmmakers that were Germans, like, being children during World War One, and then kind of coming through that, you know, can you imagine, because we can't even imagine it really in Australia, can you imagine, like, another country telling us what to do? Yeah, to to you know, that like, extent of... And, and, and even, like, your tax, your tax. Like, we pay a tax that goes to, the, to America. Yeah. And you'd be like, that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like, when you're the next generation, yeah. when you're growing up, like, the men that went off and fought for that cause... That generation could be like, oh yeah, we lost, and oh, you know, I lost good men. But the children are like, 
Well, I had nothing to do with that. What do I have to pay that for? Yeah, well, why am I paying reparations exactly? Like, why yeah. am I... That's just rich. Like, we're just paying towards the rich. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So I can understand... And again, I don't know if that's the exact thinking, but you can understand that class struggle coming through, I think, in that upbringing of it, you know? Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. So what about uh, Classic Ladder? Now, for me, I've told online with Space Brains that this is a bit of a favourite of mine, possibly my ultimate... Uh, after watching it this time, putting it in the latter perspective of maybe recommending an order of what people should be watching, I, I am denied about this because we did only do The Matrix recently and I do think The Matrix is a real super favourite of mine. If I go back, we did 2001 many moons ago. I can't seem to eclipse it. And I've got to say, this time round, putting it in that order... I would still prefer to recommend to someone to go out there and watch 2001 as a starting point and then work down through my ladder. But this one does pip the Matrix now. And the reason being is a lot of the stuff we've talked about tonight that I think if you you need to kind of watch this so that you get an understanding of all these other films that kind of homage it. Yeah. I've, and so... It's, it's an interesting way of looking because I was thinking sort of uh, almost the other way around. Like there's a couple of these films you've got to watch first mm. so you can go back and actually appreciate Because if you watched... Let's let's take the yeah, hypothetical that's a good point. Yeah, that yeah. someone has never watched a science fiction film before. Yeah, yeah. Or they're just new to the genre. And then you, know, you say, okay, bits and bobs. if you're going to go watch Metropolis, it's like, okay, here's two and a half hour silent black and white film. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, like, this is where you start. And you'll be saying, <laughs> you, you try and convince them, really pay attention because a lot of the, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe watch something like The Matrix... Uh, an alien, alien's got a lot of the visuals as well. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Fifth Element. Mm. Then go back and watch, say, Metropolis and a Space Odyssey, mm. so that you can appreciate when you watch Metropolis, you go, ah, oh, yeah, like the way that these the shots that's used by, you know, like uh, yeah, yeah. in the Matrix, he's holding up the the red and the blue pill. Yeah, yeah. And that perspective where it's like just the hands and mm. the reflections. I mean, that's what Fritz Lang has done here a couple of times in here, where. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where, where where Fred's searching for Maria in the house and he sees the scarf yeah, under the door and, the and he reaches down and it's the hand reaching so it's a hand shot, and the yeah. camera moves with the hands like yeah. amazing stuff at 27. Yeah. But you go to the Matrix, in the Matrix you've got a couple of those shots where it is this the hand or the glasses or the, you know. So maybe, maybe watch a couple of modern ones. This is where I, I, I can totally get where you're coming from but... I'm thinking if you watch a few of the modern ones, you go back and watch that one and then go back and watch the rest of the modern ones. I guess ones. I'm just thinking about it give, it. give it the context first if, you, yeah. if you're new to the game. But, you know, it's funny now looking at my 11 classics, you could flip it and start with Akira, which is my number 11, yeah. where it's just kind of more entertainment sci-fi, good sci-fi. And then you start working your way. Oh, Predator, yeah, again, really fun you know, science fiction, alien sort of action stuff, demolition. Oh, okay, don't starting to touch on it, being a bit more theoretic. Because really, if I suppose if I look at my list and then Total Recall, event, like really you're, it's almost like number one to 11, it is a little bit more thinking sci-fi down to more action adventure mm. sci-fi. So it could work if you just flipped my ladder. Yeah. If you started at number 11 and went up to number one, you're like going from kind of fun action adventures, but it is sci-fi up to more serious sci-fi with more thinking involved. So that could be one way of looking at it. Whereas then you could flip it upside down 
and then go, no, I'm going to start with all the context. Yeah, and so work I my guess I guess it does depend on how <laughs> how science fictiony you already are. Yeah, if, but if you're reasonably au fait with the science fiction genre, and it's particularly if you haven't seen 2001 or Metropolis, yeah, yeah, you got to watch those two because. It. And, and just bearing and keeping in mind all the sci-fi you've already seen and you watch those two and you go, holy moly, that's like, that's all of science fiction yeah, yeah. on a plate. There's, there's very little um, that has come from since then which does not incorporate elements of these yeah, movies. Yeah. And it does make me think you and I need to look at um, Terry Gillum's Brazil. Brazil, I did yes. see it many moons ago. But I guess watching Metropolis, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, oh, I'm thinking of that film. Yeah, but it's a been film. a long time since I've seen it. Again, it was sort of back at film school. But so, what about yourself? Where where is it on your little ladder? Mine, uh, it's it's right in the middle. Okay. So I've gone that idea of that you're going to move your way through. Yep. I start with 2001. Yep. And then you move down through like Alien and uh, Back to the Future. So I'm yep. sort of mixing up here a bit. Yeah. yeah. I, I like to. Bit of a palate cleanser here and there. Yes, you do. And right in the middle, you hit the metropolis. You'll put in the cheese in the middle. You and then you'll go... Stop the wine drinking. That'll be a... Uh-huh. <laughs> when you watch that one. Yeah. And then you get stuck into like Total Recall. Yeah. And you'll start... Yeah, that, that's that's sort of my mixtape, if you like. And on that, what are you thinking about the science of this film? What are, what's, what are you delving into for Metropolis? It's an old film. Like we talked about, like it has video phones. There's robotics... Uh, there's sciencey science. He's going to science the living shit out of you. Um, what bit are you focused? We've got a metropolis in the possible future that is yeah, huge. There's a, there's a bunch of interesting stuff in here, and I've sort of we've spoken a bit about robots and and simulacrums of uh, in the past, but I was particularly interested in the idea of underground living. Right. So yeah, there's yeah. this underground city, and there's been a number of cases put forward to say that a, a moon a permanent moon base should be in underground caverns because yeah, it provides yeah, yeah. a certain amount of structure and protection straight up and same on mars is sort yep. of saying it, there's there's too much radiation and you know there's, there's not much air and there's, there's not much to see up on yeah, the surface yeah. of mars anyway so you may as well go underground yeah, yeah. and certainly then you have uh, underground living as it currently exists now and we yeah. we can go mole up, people mole pe- yeah <laughs> will we be mole people and we can go right back in time yeah uh right back a few thousand years ago just that is back yeah well if you, go, if you go back to oh, i didn't get the time cappadocia, cappadocia. in turkey yeah i'm um, this year back in late 300s bc okay so there's a, there's a bunch Two and a half of thousand. It's about a bunch of, I think they're limestone cliffs that were tunneled out and lived, you know, they've had hundreds of people in there for centuries, mm. thousand years. Various people at various times have used these caves to live in there. Yeah. When you're looking more recently, we do have, say, here in Australia, we've got Kubapedi where people have mm. used the the um, mining into the, it's, yeah, limestone. Yeah, there. yeah. To avoid the heat, because Kuopedi yep. is a hot-ass place in a hot-ass desert. Yep. Uh, and then more modern, you get Helsinki has got a very large underground period, um, part of a city. Yes. But there are future plans in for Singapore, which is you know land-starved, like it's just a city. Yep. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of space, and they've 
previously done like land reclamation where they basically carve off a bit of the ocean, buy a bunch of sand and fill it in. Yep. Bingo, you've got new land. Yes. But that's running out of space. Yep. And so they're proposing a, um, having a 3,000 square kilometer, 300 square kilometer, I don't know the, I've got, I've got the, uh, I've got the notes just here somewhere if I were to, um, sometimes my notes are less organized than other times. <laughs> you got to remind yourself, where did I put the notes of the notes? Oh, I found them in the notes folder. No, but the notes, I don't know where the notes folder is. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the, the, well, the Singapore, um, Government. Singapore's got a whole bunch of stuff there. So they've got their CityLink Mall, which is about five point, you know, 5,600 square meters of underground retail space that connects in with the City Hall Station and Suntech City and, and a yep. whole bunch of other things. Yep. Uh, you've got the Japan, and I've been in here myself there in Osaka. I remember I went there to go watch Iron Maiden and we stopped uh, to visit my friend there. And we went down to the subway and he picked it, he met us in the underground thinking that we're going to go up above ground and go walk. Like it's just like a tube station type yeah. thing. But it, we walked on from there and it wasn't just a little connecting thing. It was, it was through shops and through businesses. And you know, we walked, I don't know, I don't know how far because it's really hard to tell when you're underground. Yeah. Before we sort of went up a few flights of stairs and popped out on the street level. Yeah, yeah. And it was just this whole section underground. Yep. Uh, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Once you start having like trains underground and tube stations and whatever, that then, sure, why? What's wrong with having retail underground? Yeah, and well, they other st- things? they start um, connecting together. Yeah, and there are difficulties though with living underground. Yeah. So vitamin the, D. Uh, yes, <laughs> there's some obvious ones and less obvious ones that the. I was going to say, the less obvious one actually is the vitamin D, but okay. you've just blown that one wide <laughs> Sorry. The, the, the obvious ones, I know of course, the song. Is, you know the song they used to play to us as kids? No. That oh, ad, you know? No, they only Get had it here in WA. Sunshine. Yeah, my wife, she has sung the vitamin, vitamin, D. vitamin D, vitamin C, and all the rest of it. We did have that. Propaganda. Yeah, propaganda. I, in the ACT, we didn't have to get told to eat vitamins. We just I don't know why we were told that you have to get in the sunshine in WA. We're literally it's, surrounded by it's like sunshine. We, we try to avoid it more yeah, than yeah. anything else. Yeah. Uh, but so, so the, digging holes in the ground is hard work Yeah. and it tends to collapse. And you, if you have earthquakes and things or you get water, you've got to, so you've got to seal all of this stuff off, which, which is why places like Cappadocia where they're digging into these established limestone or chalk mm. cliffs, they're, they're very stable. Um, you've got the less obvious ones, which is, for example, sunlight. Humans require vitamin D. We can get it from food. There are some foods which will give it to us, but our primary source is a bit of natural sunlight. Yep. There's the uh, seasonal affective disorder, which is what happens to people who live up in the Arctic Circle. Right. In winter, you just don't get as much sunlight and you get depression. Yeah. So it's seasonal affective disorder, so sad. Yeah. Is a thing. So living underground, you're going to end up with that issue. Yes. Um, we can easily pretend, make pretend with the sky and open spaces. Yeah. Again, in Japan, I was in a mall that was like the streets of Venice. So right. you're in, you're walking through there, and you could be forgiven thinking you're walking through the streets of Venice, like the interior. It looks like there's two or three story high 
yeah, Venetian things. And it's actually the ceiling is just painted, it's domed and it's painted in perspective mm. and has particular lighting and clouds drawn up there. And it, it's a remarkably effective illusion. Yeah. It makes you feel it's like we, we get, it was about lunchtime, so mm-hmm. midday-ish, uh-huh. sun was up. My friend and I, we walked in and it was immediately sort of um, heading into evening in Venice. Uh, uh-huh. It was a very yeah. weird mall to walk through. Yeah. But it certainly gave that illusion and it'd be, you know, the idea would be that you'd do the same thing if you had to live underground. Yes. Say on the moon, you'd want to have, you know, you'd want to give people the feeling they're not locked in their own tomb. That's right. Because some some concerns, and these are the same concerns that have putting people on the International Space Station. They do, don't they? So to, to get on there, you've got to go through a psych evaluation, basically... Are you able to adapt to new experiences? Yep. Do you seek out these things? Do you self-moderate your thoughts and so forth? Yes. So I I'm, I didn't go in too much because we we are running long on this because this is such a fantastic film. Yeah. But um, underground living, we already do it. How far down can we go? Well, the further you go, the hotter it gets. So the first 400 or so meters is it's about 20 degrees centigrade. From 11 degrees down to about 20 degrees, it's pretty constant and mm. it's quite good. So you've got wine caves, cheese caves and so forth. Mm, tasty. Take advantage of that. But you get down, say, in the gold mines in South Africa. I can't remember the name of the gold mine. Yeah. Uh, it's Again, it's it's in my notes here, but it's uh, it's about three kilometers down and the wall faces are about 60 degrees centigrade. Right. So it's like an oven. They have to pump, continuously pump cooling air yeah. in all the time. So you start going down too far and it starts getting hot, yep. about 25 degrees centigrade every thousand meters or so. So you go, down, you go down a couple of kilometers and it's just too hot to live. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how far down in Metropolis they had dug. But of course, this is what they're looking for in say place like Mars. Mm. You want to get a bit under the ground there, a more stable temperature. Yep. Even if it's a stable but cold temperature, because Mars varies from 20 degrees centigrade to negative 123. Mm. It's too much. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you can stabilize underground a bit yeah, more, right? So the question is, though, would you be willing to live underground? Like, What yeah. would it take to, to make you accept underground living? Mm. Um, I would say quite a lot based on the way people have dealt with isolation, lockdown. They tend to go a little bit stir crazy, and they're just living in their normal houses. They're living every day. I think I think it does depend on the you know environmental context, and obviously you know like cost, money, um, per, you know perspective on working life relationship. Those things you were talking about a little bit about like how realistic underground could look would play a big role. Yes, uh, and then maybe also it's like I mean it's. Prison isn't <laughs> for the movie Fortress. Isn't that a hundred stories underground? Yeah, that's that's an upside down. Yeah, that's an upside down prison. That's... But it's like, um, well, I was just thinking. I just had the thought of the. But so obviously being forced into that scenario. But I think also underground living would be fine if you could, if you had the option to go back up ground. Yes, you know yeah. what I mean. Like I think that always that freedom. Because I think that's what it is with lockdown. Is people, uh, probably spend. Easily, there'd be weeks where they do 
basically just stay at home except for emergency but as soon as you say that you're forced to stay home people go what (laughs) you have to and you go okay that's no problem I normally day two is like I just I just want to go out I need to go outside yeah I just want to go out the kids need to go out I'm going to do like a really big sneeze on someone on a public train I just need to get out there yeah. yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, but it is. I think so. It always that motivation factor, right? Yeah. Yeah, but there is, of course, a lot of interest in underground dwelling. Yeah, no, I can as you know, it's hard to find the space. Mexico City's sort of putting forward some ideas of mm. earth scrapers. I said Helsinki already has a large thing. Um, Quebec imagine. has the largest yeah. underground section that was a um, rezo, and that's thirty-two kilometers of tunnel. I'm pretty sure Saudi, city blocks. Saudi Arabia had a thing about this as well. Again, you know, escaping the extreme heat um, where they wanted to build one of those metrop- metropolis mm. city, you know, and again, it's kind of like half of it would be underground, like a dome underground. From, from an environmental uh, perspective, it's good because if you um, you, you go look at it like Kubipedi, yeah, a lot of these houses, the ones that are done properly, mm. it's 23 to 25 degrees centigrade in there. That's right, yeah. Year-round. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It might be 30, 40 degrees above ground, but it's 25. It's like air conditioning, yeah, yeah. but you don't have to produce any air you're conditioning. Not, yeah, yeah, you're not literally. And, yeah. and so whilst you might need to um, you know, pump a bit of fresh air through, there might be some air conditioning constraints, you know, things to consider with engines and machines and things, but uh, you could certainly save a lot by careful planning of uh-huh. your underground cities you definitely could yeah yes sounds good man sounds good well that's an interesting take on metropolis is the underground the working class underground so that will do us for metropolis is our classic episode 55 sorry we move on next time we get together we are going to Fast forward into the future you were mentioning underground living on Mars we're going to science the shit out of this thing. <laughs> We are. We're going back to Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, Alien, if you remember. And we're going to look at a much more modern film called The Martian. The Martian. I'm Matt Damon. Matt Damon! (laughs) (laughs) I'm Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to do that, Joe. If you don't know where we get, go watch 28 seasons of South Park. South Park, yes. But yeah, well, I'm looking forward to. I saw this film a few years ago, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going back and having another look. You've read the novel, which is interesting. You can bring that perspective. So hit us up. Let us know what you thought about Metropolis. What we talked about Metropolis. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course the interwebs. Uh, more information about uh, where Space Brains is going into the future and the coming episodes. Stay tuned. I'll see you next time. Bye.